Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Connecting to the big show. Three, two, one. I felt intimidated in the workplace. I wouldn't want to do that. Like, I'm not out there to upset anybody. We have a finite amount of time. We really are meant to make a difference to other humans' lives. As far as cancer concerns, well, you want a property, so you can't get emergency accommodation. But I can't get into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Yeah, if you were to take notice of the Medical Council's survey that they've published this morning uh, and and take it sort of seriously and be bothered by it, um, as I'm not particularly, uh, you'd pack up your bag and you'd go home before this programme had even started. I speak of a survey they've published um, where they looked at the most trusted professions Uh, doctors come second from the top Uh, they published a top 10 of the most trusted professions the professions they trust most to tell the truth doctors come second it's coming from the medical council i wonder can you tell me who came first and who came last (laughs) no it wasn't me wasn't the journalists it wasn't the media we didn't do much better than last but we didn't come last that's what's very important i'll tell you that in a minute i'll give you that top 10 in a little while. There's a thing as well from the Justice Minister this morning, that list of new offences and new jail terms under her Criminal Justice Amendments Act of 2023 or whatever it's called. There's one glaring omission in that. One omission that I'm very disappointed not to see it there because she's been under pressure to do it. She's been called upon to do it. Previous Ministers for Justice have been called upon to do it and they've all failed to do it. There's one big omission from that list of changed sentences and and if I was the you know if I was a, a member a family member of a Garda if I was married to a Garda uh, or or if I my, my my dad as you know served um but if I if I had a Garda in the family um, I'd be very descri- very disappointed by one glaring omission from that list I wonder can you can you think of what it is it's, it's, it's one we've talked about in this programme before and one I believe should be there and I think it would take an awful lot of couriers off the streets if it was there. But it's not. It's not. Anyway, good morning. We'll get to that and plenty more. But Georgina, uh, where exactly where exactly are your mom and dad now uh, as, as we speak? Good morning to you. 
Good morning, PJ. Welcome back. Thank um, you. They are in Cork. Okay. They're home. <laughs> okay, but it's been yeah. a bit of a nightmare the last um, few days. Yes, an absolute nightmare. Um, so basically, it was my dad's 60th birthday and he always wanted to see Berlin. So they said, why not? Let's book it. So back in, I'd say May, maybe April, um, they booked their flights, they booked everything and were delighted with themselves for the October bank holiday weekend. Okay. And they had to get up at stupid o'clock there on Friday morning to get a flight. So basically there's no direct flight from Cork. So you have to go um, Cork. They had to go Cork, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Amsterdam um, to Berlin. Now, you could probably go to via Heathrow as well or whatever, but that was just the route that they picked and yeah. it was via KLM. Yeah. So they had to get up, as I say, at stupid o'clock up to Cork Airport, checked in at the desk and the lady said, oh, you're on standby for this flight. And my dad said, what do you mean we're on standby? And she said, the flight's been oversold. We're going to see if we can get you on today. When did they book it? And my dad... we were trying to remember this. We think it was about April or May, okay. so approximately months. five or six months ago. Months in advance. Yeah. 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 So that's exactly what my dad said. He was like, what was the point? We've booked this months ago. What was the point in booking if we arrive at the check-in desk? And then you're telling me that you might not be able to get me on the flight. So anyway, there was like a little bit of a panic. And eventually she was like, no, look, I can get you on. It's fine. Um, And you're checking in a bag. And then that set in with my dad to go, hmm. If you're telling us we're on standby, is the bag definitely going to be okay? Is is that on standby as well kind of thing? She said, don't worry about it. The bag will be checked in across your journey and, you know, you'll all arrive in Berlin together kind of thing. So my dad said, fine. In the meantime, the couples behind my mom and dad were panicking because they had obviously heard her saying it's oversold and some poor couple behind my mom and dad had to run off to the Aer Lingus desk to try and get a flight to Heathrow because they were basically told you're not getting on because Mm -hmm. of my mom and dad Mm -hmm. getting the last two seats basically. It was just chaos and it was very stressful as in from the Mm (laughs) get-go. So they arrived in Amsterdam for their connecting flight to Berlin and the lady at the desk there said Hello? Parents were saying, Hang on, well, you dropped out there. Happening? What did the lady say at the desk, oh, Georgina? She said, Oh, you're on standby for this flight. So my dad was like, How is this happening again? Second flight in a row on the same day. Um, and she said, Look, I'll see what I can do. Take a seat. So they had to sit at the gate and basically wait for a while. And then she started calling him over and she said, I can get you on the flight. You are going to be in business class and your wife is going to be in economy. (laughs) And it was like, it was fantastic that she'd managed to get them on the flight. She was delighted with herself. But my mom and dad... He wasn't impressed, I'd say, at the chance of him on on the free bubbly (laughs) and she's sitting down the back in steerage, you know, yeah. Oh, he got got a breakfast. Um, He got a breakfast and he got laid on a plate and everything. And she got a little biscuit and a cup of tea. <laughs> I'd say that anyway, went down a bomb. Yeah, but look, it's his birthday. Yeah. So, um, but she, they just couldn't believe that your mum was so delighted. And my dad was like, what is the point in buying a flight in advance if you're barely going to be able to get on the flight? This so, is the anyway, bit I'm not getting, Georgine. It was booked in yeah. April or May, and this is the end of October. Like, Yeah, shocking. So, they get to Berlin, and they're stood at the carousel, waiting for the bags, and all the bags start coming out. Oh, no, no. The next thing, about half an hour passes and then a big red sign comes up saying complete, baggage complete, um, 
you know, and the two of them were looking at each other going, oh. And there was a few other people that were on that flight who it had happened to as well. So my mum and dad went down to the KLM desk and they just said, look, do you know where our bags are? We had a feeling that it was a bit iffy with us being on standby. And the guy said, look, we have to take your details where you're staying and we'll drop them. It should take one to two days. And my mum and dad were like, we're only here until Monday, though. It's Friday afternoon. Like, what's going on? So they set off to where they were staying. And then it dawned on my mother that um, her epilepsy medication was in the bag. Oh, God. Oh, and yeah, so she had brought a small supply with her on her person and put the rest into the bag. So she'd already taken her meds on the Friday, let's say. She had enough for Saturday, but it was the Sunday and the Monday, I think, were the days that she was missing out on. One day, one day so you get away spent. with, two days is too much, yeah. Yes, exactly. So they started to panic. They were Googling doctors. They were looking around everywhere on Friday evening, couldn't find one. I went into a pharmacy. Pharmacy recommended an emergency doctor. Got a hold of an emergency doctor. He gave them a prescription. Then Saturday afternoon, they went to a pharmacy near their um, accommodation and the pharmacist took the script and looked at it and said, he's only given you two days worth of tablets. And my mom said, that's all I need. Yeah, thank you. You know, and she said, oh, in Germany, we don't do that. You need to take the entire box of medication. And my mom. The German doctor had written this prescription. like. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the pharmacist point blank refused to, she said, in Germany, this isn't how we do it. I'm very sorry. I'm not going to be able to fulfill the script. And I'm I'm sure she said to her, look, it was only the doctor over the road wrote it. Like, what are you talking about here? Well, yeah, but she, like, I think my mom kind of got no satisfaction from her, basically. And my mom was was so stressed over everything. So she just basically burst into tears. (laughs) front of this woman so then they had to obviously on the Friday night as well sorry they had to go to Primark they found a local Primark to buy socks and jocks pennies and they went to pennies to yeah they found a penny <laughs> you'll find um, a penny anywhere yeah. I know that's it um, but like between the jigs and the reels of the few days and trying to like just trying to you know figure out what kind of clothes you need I suppose they didn't know what the weather would be like either they ended up spending over 300 euro on clothes for themselves that they needed because she's the lady actually said something to my mom about her luggage and my mom said all I have with me right now are the clothes that I am wearing and the woman kind of backed off then <laughs> the pharmacist as if to go ooh this isn't a great situation so anyway um, in the end the they went back and the pharmacist said you could travel to North Berlin the legislation is slightly different there and they oh. will give you um, the full They'll give you the prescription. They won't give you the full one. They can break it up. Georgina, at this so, stage now, right, if I was in your dad's position, okay, I'd uh-huh. be saying, all right, where's the camera? I know I'm being punked here. Yeah, literally, that's how they felt. And, like, the two of them were just, they genuinely did not know. So my mom at this point just lost it. <laughs> and what they did was they actually have a kind of... um like a taxi or delivery service for medication. Yeah. So they sent your man off to the north of Berlin to get her medication, to fulfill the script and to bring it back. So it did get sorted, but it was an awful lot of hullabaloo, you know. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, my dad gets onto KLM saying, right, we're after spending a fortune here on a doctor, a prescription, Prescription pennies. <laughs> um, what's happening with our suitcase? And KLM said, "Oh, it should be delivered by Monday." 
And my dad said, well, that's great because we're probably going to be back in Ireland by Monday. Where is it being delivered to? And they said, um, we've reason to believe it's in Berlin. Now, the last update they'd gotten was that it was in Amsterdam, the case. So, um, yeah, they arrived back here on Monday night. My dad contacted KLM and they got um, a message yesterday to say that they have no idea where the bag is now, but that they have a very, um, I can't remember what the word was. It was like secure barcode system or something like that. And It'll not probably end up in Frankfurt, Georgina. It'll yes, probably, exactly. Frankfurt or Geneva is where an awful lot of yeah. lost stuff ends up. Do you know up. what, PJ? I'd say it never even left Cork. I'd say it sits <laughs> up there now somewhere <laughs> next to a belt <laughs> and probably never even left the country. Oh, but, um, oh your poor yeah, parents. Just, your poor parents. Yeah. I know yeah, your your mother's your mother's a quiet woman. I mean, if I was in the same position, mm. my missus would have gone through someone for the shortcut and me after her. Yeah, in <laughs> fair now, look, I suppose she did kind of lose it eventually, but she said, given how stressed they were, she said, you know, when you just have that kind of little bit of hope of like, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. You, yeah. you kind of, you know, you give yourself that a little bit. That's kind of where she was at, but like on Saturday evening they were looking at each other and my dad was like let's try and get an early flight home let's get out of here like they just they completely it just did, ruined the did whole did they trip. get to see any of Berlin like on Sunday yeah they did um, a boat trip and they did the the Berlin Wall and they did um, the, uh, one of the churches I can't remember the name now but they did they did a little bit but they, they just didn't get it unfortunately looking for the medication and starting to sort that took up uh, like a good nearly two days sure, of their time, you know. Sure, Had they any travel insurance? Uh, that's what we're trying to figure out now because I think possibly as an extension of their home insurance, some of it is travel, you know. Mm. So um, basically we're not allowed to, or she's not allowed to do anything at the moment because KLM are keeping the case, pardon the pun, open. Um, so basically until it's closed, that's when you can go and claim I think right. but they're saying like no we're going to find the bag and we're going to you know so I mean they're not holding out hope they reckon that the bag is gone my parents do like um, but we just but to be fair um, I remember travelling one time with a lot of broadcasting gear and this is why I know um, we were going to a match in Geneva and everything arrived except the broadcasting gear which was kind of important. I mean, I'd have been happily done done the match in my jocks if I had to. But like, yeah. you know, <laughs> the gear was there, and I get a call. Like, it, kick off in this match it was a rugby match. Kick off was three o'clock. I get a call at two o'clock from this really really happy person in the. Your bag is here. Yeah. Goes, oh Jesus! It's forty minutes to the airport and forty minutes back. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. I know it, it. But Geneva and Frankfurt are the two places that 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 luggage goes to. When it gets mi- when it yeah. goes missing, there's there is a hub. At least there used to be a massive hub in Frankfurt, and there is one in Geneva. And basically, whenever mm. they find a other than blow it up, which they do sometimes, but if they f- <laughs> if they find an unconnected bag that should have been mm-hmm. on a plane, they get sent to either Geneva or Frankfurt. That used to be there. But well, the bit, the, my, yeah, go on. my mum said that Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam was actually, she said it was scary, the amount of unattended yeah. luggage oh, yeah. that was left outside of the carousels and stuff. The ship all is and huge as well, is 
yeah, she couldn't believe it. She just said there was just piles of um, luggage with like the little red tag on them, you know, and she was just saying like, my God, anyone could just pick it up and walk away with it or, you know, like yeah. they were just everywhere. She couldn't yeah. get over how much luggage was just yeah. left lying around the place there. I, I know that they do these deals between airlines and to be fair, it works out an awful lot of the time, but I'm always worried about bags. You know, you say, right, well, Cork, I'm going to wherever I'm going. Your bag will go straight through. I said, that's what, that's what it says in theory. Do you know what I mean? But yes. anyway, Kabir, the whole standby thing, though, that's the bit that I'd be wondering. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, and I, you, you can check it, you can find out when the booking was made. Your folks booked this in April stroke May, right? For the yeah. end of October flight. And you turn up on yeah. standby. How the yeah. hell did that happen? I know. They have no idea. <laughs> they're in, I would know, I know we're laughing about it, Georgina, and they probably will themselves eventually, but they're entitled to an explanation for that. They're absolutely entitled to it. And at the end of the day... And to be compensated, if you don't mind. Yeah. What is the point of paying for a flight if you're going to get there and then told, oh, you might be getting on here today, lads, you're on standby? That's, that's something, something seriously wrong there. Something seriously wrong. And 300 quid on clothes. You buy a bunch of pennies for that. They came back well-dressed at least. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I said to my mom. I said, you should have gone into Dolce & Gabbana or something. Found something there now and really, you know, afterwards claimed all for dresses and whatnot afterwards. I, know. I, know. I remember arriving in India one time and, of course, my bag. Our, our bags were two days behind us. We eventually got them. I was in India for a few days and the bags arrived. From, but when we went to the, to the embassy, we went to the local consulate in, in Bangalore in India. They handed us each a hundred dollars. Now, there were shopping centres in Bangalore where you'd dress a king for a hundred dollars. It was great. Cheapers. <laughs> yeah, oh, unreal. Amazing. Anyway. Berlin wasn't like that. Berlin wasn't like <laughs> that. All the way. Let us know what happens here, because seriously, that's that's a of very, course. that's something that's well worth checking out with the experts here. How on earth does it happen mm-hmm. that you book a flight in the springtime for the end of October and you arrive and you're on standby? How on earth does that happen? Yeah. That's the question. Absolutely. Georgina, my best to your mum and dad. Thanks for that. 0818 96, 96 96 You would think you're being punked, though. And I do think it's the responsibility of the airline to sort you out in a situation like this. But can anybody, can anybody shed any light on that for us? Um, maybe Barry and the crew at the airport would know how this happens. Or maybe someone involved in the travel industry would know how this happens. I know Owen Corrie would probably know if he called him, but if, is there anybody else to whom this has happened or who has worked on airline desks over the years? How does someone who books their flight in May, we will say, April or May, around the start of May, how does someone who booked their flight in May for a trip at the end of October arrive at the airport in October and be told you're on standby, you might not get on that? How does that happen? And has that happened to anybody who's listening to me right now? Because I think if it happened to me, I would lose it. Because I'd say, hold on, I didn't book yesterday. I didn't arrive up here with my credit card now. I booked this in May. It's now the end of October. What? What is the problem here? Does anybody know how that's hap- that, that happens? KLM do huge business out of Cork, they've big partnership themselves and Aer, and Aer Lingus over and back to Amsterdam. Barry Holland was only here yesterday in studio telling me about how Amsterdam, and it is one of the best hubs in the world. But what happened? What happens with that? Why do you book, why would you book a flight in May 
pay for your flight in May and then arrive in the end of October to discover you're probably on you're probably on or you are on standby you might not get on but isn't it, they always find a way to get you on don't they 0818969696 we'll get to the bottom of that because that's, that's, that's not good enough when that happens certainly not good enough but hopefully they'll get compensated join the conversation this is the opinion line with hidden hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology they're all ears visit hiddenhearing.ie Cox 96 FM Listen to your favourite shows on the go. Download the Cork's 96FM app. We'll talk about this later. The number of vacant houses in Cork. It's eye-watering. It is actually scandalous, is the only word for it. Uh, Cork Simon have taken a look at the 2022 census and they've focused, as you would, on Cork. And the numbers would scare the life out of you. And I'll give you them in a little while. That offence, which I would have thought should have been on Helen McEntee's list. Tom, you're not quite there. You've, you've got the one I'm going to talk about, though. Yeah, um, there is still no mandatory sentence for attacking a guard in the course of his or her duty. There is still no mandatory sentence for assaulting a paramedic or a nurse or a doctor in the course of their duty. Or a fireman, or firefighter, or whatever. You know yourself. There is still no mandatory sentence. Uh, a minimum, and I would say, if you lay your hand on a guard, or a paramedic, or a nurse, or a doctor, or a firefighter, anyone coming to your aid, then I'd be banging you away for three, for three years without discussion. That's not on the list. Ah, Mary. Is it Mary or Marie? I always ask. Morning to you. Morning. Is it Marie or Marie? Marie. Marie. What happened to you? I went on holidays in March. My luggage never came back to Ireland. And I filled in the forms for Aer Lingus, sent them off. Then I got onto my insurance and never got the bag back and never got uh, compensation either. Why, why won't insurance pay you back? Because they're blaming the airline. Because they're what, sorry, Marie? They're blaming the airline. They're blaming the airline. But they cover you for loss of luggage. Yes, that was my point. And you flew where? Where did you go on holidays? New Zealand. New Zealand. Okay. Long haul. And the bag never got there or never got back? Never got back. Never got back? Yeah. Right. And and did you, you flew New Zealand, London, was it? I... Um Christchurch, Singapore, Singapore, Heathrow, Heathrow, Cork. Okay, three major hubs. Yes. And 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 as you checked the bag on in Christchurch, and you never saw it again. Never saw it again. No. Well, and your insurance is saying it's the airline's fault. Yeah, and the airline is saying it's the insurance fault. It's like a game of tennis. Because that's a weird one. Because when you pay travel insurance. You pay whatever your yearly one or your paying individual one for the trip. Yes. There's usually coverage of lost luggage in it. I have all that. Because I have a medical condition as well, so I paid extra. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and lost extra, and um, no. Got nothing. Wow. And this is October. I'll never see the bag again. Wow. Have you considered bringing a solicitor in on this? 
Catherine would get it. Probably would. It probably would. I'm, I'm surprised. And look, this is a thing for an insurance expert, and I'm far for that. But I buy travel insurance every year when I go on holidays. I make sure to buy a travel insurance policy. And I always insist that there's a lost luggage clause in it, and there it is in front of you, like. For that flight, you'd have to have it. Yeah. For a long haul flight, like that, uh, two places on the way. You'd need it. But yes, um, will I fly again? Well, never. You wouldn't fly again, no? No, I'm be bothered. Ah, oh, that's a pity. I'm be bothered. That's I a pity. waited five years to go on this holiday. I see. Are we going to see someone, or you just, did you just want to see me at the end? No, I went to with, with someone. I see. Okay. It was a total disaster. Never again will I be bothered. Okay. All right, Marie. That's there's another there's another question for insurance experts. Like when you buy an insurance policy for travelling, there's always a lost luggage clause in it. Clearly in this case they're pushing it back to the airline and the airline are pushing it back to the insurance company, the insurance company. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six you should look into that. Definitely. Uh, Bernie says, what laws are we to deal with antisocial behaviour? We need to be sorting out issues locally and on the ground. Well, that's what I'm saying with regard to um, the mandatory jail for attack on a guard. I'd be marching up to Kilmore Road tomorrow if you attacked a guard in the course of the duty tonight. To Whitegate again, Shane Russell was on with me the day before I went off sick. Shane, you were on with me as Storm, Storm Babbitt was gearing up to to do damage and you were already in trouble in, in Whitegate. You're in even more trouble now. The videos are shocking and you've sewerage flowing in the street. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yes, indeed. Obviously, we got flooded badly there in Storm Babette, as did many areas in East Cork. Um, however, over the weekend, we had further flooding a small bit Friday night and then both Saturday, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night and Monday morning, Monday night. Like it was extensively flooded. Tidal was this time we had. It was tidal, yeah. So it was there was spring tide. So we're used to tidal flooding being in Whitegate. Look, it's happened for as long as I can remember. There's always been an element of tidal flooding. But what happened this weekend was there was sewerage coming up with it, and there was extensive sewerage gone into the back gardens of properties as well, which had never happened even in high tides before. So we. We've had people out from the council and different teams from the council trying to do, trying to block sores at the high tide marks now on Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday night. And it has certainly helped. But uh, there's been raw sewage coming up in the water in the back of properties. And also you'll see one of the videos Sunday morning on the main street. We got up early Sunday morning and what we were faced with was literally raw sewage Awful. sitting on the main street of the village. And like in this day and age, this is totally, totally unacceptable. Absolutely mm. unacceptable. Yeah. Angie is another local there who sent me some videos and some photographs and Thomas took some, some pictures and you've got your own Facebook post. It, it, the place is a mess. Have Irish Water been of any assistance here? Uh, no, we've put in emergency calls into Irish Water and they're, they're, the teams from the council stores have been out with us over the weekend but Irish Water, someone from Irish Water needs to make, make, come down and have a look and see what is the story here because in fairness to the lads who've been out on the cruise, they've given everything they could over the weekend, they've been working round the clock with us to see what can be done but Irish Water themselves, the entity, they need to be held accountable for this. We have a wastewater treatment plant 
just out the road and why get a new one. It's not yet commissioned, but it is. A lot of the works are done there, but we need to get timelines. That was due to be done this year. It's not the outfall pipe at White Bay Beach isn't even in. It's not even installed. We need to get timelines and we need to get an explanation from Irish Water. We've had flooding over the years and while there might be a small element of storage on the main street, a small bit, you, you sometimes with the high tides, you can have a mix there, but we've never, I, I've never remembered in 30 years having storage pumping up the back of properties. We spent uh, Sunday night and early Monday morning literally pumping storage from the back sores of our property from my own house into the garden to keep it away from the houses and creating literally what was at one stage looked like a lake of raw sewage sitting in the back gardens of properties and it's the same in a number of other properties along the main streets as well. This is a public health emergency. Well, absolutely. Like uh, storage is deemed a biohazard, and it's certainly it's certainly something. This we cannot have this happen again. We're here now this morning. We're just about to meet with the council again this morning. In fairness, they're out because of this storm, Kieran. There is concerns about further potential flooding over the coming days, so they're trying to see what can be done in the immediate short term now mm-hmm. to assist. But like Irish water here, this storage we live beside the sea. While we shouldn't have to put up a tidal flooding, we know it's there. We know that's going to happen until the flood defence system is done, and that could. Take yeah. a long while. I Indeed. accept that. Yeah. What but I won't accept is storage coming up through into people's properties. No, God, no. Has anybody put a camera down, for example, Shane, to see where the sewage? Because clearly, clearly, the sewage blocked somewhere. Um, well, no, the, the sewers were sorry. Uh, uh, there was camera serving done yesterday, and some reports will be available in the next few hours on that. But um, it, it it seems that the sewers are backing up. Um, it looks as if there may be water getting into the sewers, either fresh or seawater getting into sewers somewhere. But like t- we have sewers, even this morning, there was more flooding this morning, but it didn't get into properties and it didn't come into the back of properties. But this morning, the sewer manholes on the main street were bubbling up early this morning again at the at the high tide. Now it wasn't. There was no damage done this morning and there's no real evidence of storage on the street but the sores again were bubbling up this morning some of the manholes again this morning there it's it's a lovely morning now but but kieran is on his way we, we still don't know how angry he will be or how much of his anger will 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 hit us but are you worried well, look, we are concerned. Absolutely, we're concerned. Um, looking at the forecast right now, it looks maybe it won't be as bad as they had initially predicted, but there's still a huge bit of movement and a bit of time before that's going to hit. And like 20 or 30 miles either way would have a massive effect on where it'll hit in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I know the forecasters are trying to predict exactly France looks as if it's going to hit bad in England, but it could still hit. And yes, naturally enough, we're concerned. People were putting their properties back together after the storm. I bet there was new appliances, new carpets and stuff going to play. And then this weekend we were hit again with extensive flooding, water in houses. We had a foot of water in our own, in my own front room um, throughout the weekend and it got to a stage that we just said there's no point in cleaning up, it's going to happen again tonight, it'll happen again tomorrow morning. So it's only now today really we, we, we're we now over the tidal element of it. Uh, the tides have dropped enough that we shouldn't see it but obviously Storm Kieran could bring further damage over the coming days. But it, this, is, this is really, it's time for Irish Water now to come to the table here and to explain what's gone wrong. Wrong. What are they going to do to fix it in the short term? The long term, we know the storage treatment plant will help this. It will take the storage. The storage shouldn't be backing up because they'll be pumping it out the road. But we need a definitive timeline of when this is going to happen. If it's going to take six or eight months or 12 months, tell us it is. Don't tell us it'll be ready in 2023 when it wasn't. Don't tell us it'll be ready in January and February when it's highly unlikely to be. Tell us when it will be ready and put in place interim measures that's going to prevent us having to deal with raw storage again like we've had to over the last three to four days. I don't know if you heard Gareth last week talking to Ashling in Glanmire and she said such had been the devastation 
to her home and the homes around her and her business. She was afraid of the sound of rain. Like that's that's post-traumatic stress. You must be getting very worried now with the weather. I mean, this is I'm I was gone for nearly nearly a fortnight, and you've had flooding almost continuously for nearly a fortnight. Yeah, yeah, we. We've had, in the last 14 days, I think we'll have had 10, I think it will have been 10, 9 or 10 floods, I think, in the last uh, fortnight. And how so, many times yeah, have your so house been affected or your business? Um, uh, nine times. My house has been affected nine times and my family have an auctioneering business mm-hmm. along the main street as well. That's affected. There's a salon affected. There's other houses, a restaurant, a pub, a um, number of other properties, a shop, a Eurospar was affected. So, like, all these businesses are being affected and it's, it's oh. just not good enough. We know this title. We understand that that's something we've had to deal with for years but this element where we've gotten storage pumped in it's that is a hazard and that's just totally acceptable we're seeing all this money being invested in fantastic greenways fantastic things psychopaths all that it's great it's fantastic to see this but let's get back to basics we need to get the basics right in this country and we need to make sure that the flood defense systems storage systems are capable of doing what they're meant to do Lisa is recommending here that a number of you would get together and get your own engineer to do the talking for you Um, and you might get better reactions from someone who actually knows what they're at, do you know? Yeah, we've already, that's already been, uh, we had a meeting on Monday and that's already in process now. Good, because you need need a Rottweiler here. Absolutely. You need an absolute Rottweiler here and and they're they're out there. That's, That's appalling. I'm sure. I, I mean, Glanmire, Middleton, Killer, Inch, destroyed Gary Vaughan in Offal State, and now you telling me that you've been flooded nine times in a fortnight down in Whitegate. You'll yep, never get. Like, exactly this is it. the depressing point, Shane. You'll never get that smell out of your house. No, that's it's, it's it's difficult to get it out. There's no doubt about that. You can use all the best detergents and everything, but it 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 takes time to get it out. Salt water, you'll 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 get salt water out. Look, you'll clean it up after. It's not ideal, but you'll do it. But when you're dealing with storage, you're you're on a total different level. And, and salt water will rust the sugar out of everything under it. That's the problem too. It will. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't. I don't envy living living in such a beautiful place, but then this dirty, ugly thing happens to. Oh my God! Absolutely, yeah, a beautiful spot to live in, a great parish to be part of. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just very, it's just unfortunate and unacceptable that we're having that we've had to face what we've had to uh, over the last two weeks, but especially over the last weekend, especially over the last weekend where right. where we're looking at raw storage. That's just, it's just not, it's not on, it's not on. No, it's not are, on at all. It's, it's not on at all. That, that's, tethers, that's, that, that's the bottom line. That's a that's a that's a public health issue now as well down there in Whitegate and East Cork. Thank you. Shane and uh, my thoughts, all of our thoughts are with everybody as Kieran approaches. And when you think of someone, I was thinking I didn't talk to Ashling myself. Gareth did a wonderful interview with her while I while I was off, but I listened back to it, and and she, the poor woman is traumatized. What will she be like, and what must other people be like as as we wait to hear what's going to happen with with with, with Kieran? over the next few hours. And there's something else that came up uh, just in conversation with myself and Fergal across the weekend. Um, cars. The number of cars destroyed in the last week, week and a bit, not just in the city, but in every place affected by this. It seemed to take surprisingly little water, actually, to destroy a car. As there's now so much electronics in the car, it seems to take very little water to to wreck a car, they can get they're completely written off by by a flood. 
Um, and I wonder, are the insurers going to pay out on it? And I wonder, are we going to get to a situation now? Because, hey, don't don't think it couldn't happen. We're going to get to a situation now where, you know the way you have to tell your insurance company where your car habitually is, like where you keep it. And if you happen to be in an area prone to, prone to flooding, will they cover your car for flood damage? There's a lot more to unfold from this one over the weeks and months to come. And bear in mind, as, as Alan O'Reilly said yesterday, we're coming into, today's the 1st of November, November is generally the wettest month of the year. It doesn't bear thinking about The greatest football league on earth is here. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Go to 96fm.ie to join me, Trevor Welch, for all the action. Energy. Every Saturday, I'll bring you commentary from the day's biggest games, exclusive interviews with the stars of the sport, and we'll break down all the major matchday talking points. Premier League Live with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen exclusively online every Saturday. Download the Corks 96FM app or get the stream at 96FM.ie. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 Make is trying to stir here. Make ring is trying to start up an old argument, which no. Well, we'll talk about it, Mick, but you're going to lose it always because I shall I shall refer to science, and you will lose that argument always. In a while, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. How many houses do you think? How many homes do you think were registered as vacant or recorded as vacant in census twenty twenty two? across Cork City and County. Furthermore, how many of them were long-term vacant? As in, they were still vacant since the last census before that in 2016. In the census of 2022, there were 17,000 homes vacant across Cork City and County. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. 17,000 homes vacant, of which... 5,000 of those had been still vacant in 2016. This research is published by uh, Cork Simon, having looked into uh, Census 22. Sophie Johnson is their research and communications coordinator. Sophie, these are shocking figures. You could end homelessness overnight and then some. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, Yes, they are. They're quite stark. And um, the long-term homeless figures, uh, it's the first time that we've had those figures. It's the first time that the CSO has reported on them. Previously, um, you know, in census reports and in other other reports, we have known the the number of vacant properties. um, uh, And you know, the argument has often been made, plenty of those homes could be occupied again within a very short period of time. And no doubt they are, you know, um, homes, for example, that are for sale would be occupied again within a short period of time. But we now have these long-term um, vacant homes figures from the CSO. And as you said, they established those by taking the data from Census 2022 and comparing it to that from Census 2016 and also Census 2011. So the homes that were vacant in 2022 and also back in 2016, 
they have been vacant for at least seven years. And the homes from 2011, they've been vacant from at least for, for at least 12 years. So as you said, almost 5,000 homes across Cork are long-term vacant. That's, that is that they're vacant since 2016. And in terms of vacancy, uh, this, these, this count, it doesn't include um, holiday homes, derelict homes, homes under construction, or homes where the, um, where the owner was temporarily absent. Um, and certainly, and obviously in, in the case of those that are long-term homeless, almost 5,000 out of 17,000, um, that's quite a large figure for across, across all of mm-hmm. Cork. And it actually, if we take the number of people that are homeless um, in Cork that are staying in emergency accommodation figures out just on Friday, the most recent count is 536 um, wow. people homeless um, in the yeah. southwest. There's another figure that you focus on here, um, Sophie, and it's that in the, in the city alone, just focus on the city alone, 837 homes in Cork City vacant since 2016. And in terms of people in emergency accommodation, that is more than one for everybody in the audience, as they say. Exactly. Exactly. More than one. More than one. I think it works out at like 1.6 long-term vacant homes in Cork City to each adult in emergency accommodation. And if you take it across all of Cork, uh, it's nine long-term vacant homes to each adult in emergency accommodation. Um, So Really, there's no good reason why we have a homelessness problem, is there? No good reason at all. There's, there seems to be, uh, you know, there's many, many, ver- many different approaches need to be taken to tackling the housing and homelessness crisis. But it looks like long-term vacancy could most definitely play a part in it. And you know, these these long-term vacancy figures. They're a, cons- they're a very conservative estimate because these are homes that have been vacant for seven years or more. If we take if we take um, the you know the homes that were vacant in 2016 and in 2020, so that's a very very long uh, gauge of long term homeless. Or, sorry, of long term um, vacancy, vacancy. You know, twelve months. Would you be also took a look, didn't you, at the there. reasons why they're vacant? The census that's was right. able to look that's at right. that. That's right. And um, also for the first time um, uh, in census 2022, they, they, they identified reasons for why homes were vacant. So this is very, very useful information. Um, and among the 17,000 vacant properties across Cork, we see that about one in five or almost 3,000 are vacant rental properties, which is very curious when we have such uh, such a rental crisis. Um, so uh, this actually equates to more than five vacant rental properties to each adult in emergency accommodation in Cork. Um, and again, we can we can also look at the long term um, vacancy figures among these vacant rental properties. And we see that among these 3000 vacant rental properties, one in five are long-term vacant. So that, that equates to 600, almost 650 mm. um, long-term vacant rental properties. Now which you have... Is, which is... It's ridiculous. You have, you have, of course, got a huge level of constitutional protection in this country for private property, and, and that's just the way it is. But has Simon got any recommendations, Sophie, as to what we do with these numbers to try to tackle our problems? Well, I think if we could get better insights as to why so many rental properties are vacant, 
targeted incentives could be introduced, which could encourage these homes in particular back into use and they could be part of the solution to the housing and homelessness crisis. Um, you know, our, our last paper was on single, um, the experiences of single adults and the majority of, of, of adults in emergency accommodation are single adults and they're especially dependent on the private rented sector to exit homelessness. And we all know about low supply and high rents and how that low supply is driving high rents and uh, single people in particular are locked out of the housing market. It's 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 disastrous for everybody, but we have seen that single people in particular um, find it particularly difficult to access the private rented market. So, you know, with with these numbers, it's it's by no means the the overall solution, but it can certainly be part of it. And I think all options should be, you know, all options should be looked at. And for the first time now that we have these long term vacancy figures and we have these mm. um, we have these reasons um, like it would all need to be looked into in further detail um, and to get better insights into it. But it, it could well be, uh, you know, the targeted incentives could encourage these these homes back into the private rented market the, the numbers the numbers don't lie sophie the numbers don't lie we have huge huge levels of vacancy at the same time that we have record levels of homelessness and whatever you do to try and, and, and marry the two lists you've got to do something thank you sophie johnson research and communications coordinator of cork simon so that's literally more than one vacant property for every person living in emergency accommodation in Cork City alone. Those are not something you pulled out of the air. Those are official figures from Census 22 as broken down by Cork Simon. Make of them what you will. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Delighted for young Aaron Hill. As you know, I am a fan of this young man, and you also know that I am a bit of a snooker fanatic. <laughs> so much so that I can tell you now it is 171 days to the start, to the start of the World Snooker Championship at the, um, at the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield. But Aaron had a great win last night, 4-1 over Ken Doherty. We're hoping to talk to him uh, before the end of the week, which would be great. Uh, he's very busy at the moment, young man. Watched him last week on Eurosport. Uh, he was beaten by Jack Lazowski. It just didn't go for him on the night. But I, I messaged him on Facebook afterwards. I said, any week, young man, that you get to the last 16 of a ranking tournament uh, is a good week. And he's heading off to the Scottish Open now, having beaten uh, the great Ken Doherty last night by four frames to one. He was beaten by Jack Lazowski last week. And the match was on Eurosport. I was so proud watching him. You know, such a wonderful young lad. I spoke to him here a couple of years ago. And I just predicted things from. I think, I think Aaron Hill could be Cork's biggest snooker star ever. I, I just have that feeling uh, in me, Walter, as they say, he's a very talented lad. But you know what was lovely when I saw him on on Eurosport. What was really nice was to see on the chest of his shirt, just on the, you know, there on the on, on his Singleton's Super Value Holly Hill. I thought. 
How proud is that? How proud would that make you to meet, to see that on one of our own on, on Eurosport? So well done, young Aaron Hill. We'll follow him more. And I said, hoping to speak with him on Friday. Also hoping to talk on Friday to a massive young achiever in the world of martial arts. A young lady that I met a few years ago and I had the pleasure of presenting her with an award at the Cork Martial Arts Awards in the Metropole. I don't actually know how I ended up presenting them. I was asked to do it. I said, yeah, of course I'll do it. Um, I met a young lady there called Rosa Walsh and Rosa has gone to great things. She is black belt in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. She's just won a European title. She's headed for world title, hopefully. And we'll see where it goes. See where it goes for her. But I hope to talk to her as well uh, before the end of the week. With so many young sports stars in Cork doing great things. Not just doing them in rugby and football and soccer and hurling and all those things. We've great snooker talent. We've great martial arts talent. Look at young... Look, look, look at that other young lady uh, winning all round her. Aileen winning all round her. Uh, it's fantastic. So, that's for later in the week. Um, it's lovely when someone contacts us at the opinion line with a problem to see can we help and whether we can or not we'll give them an opportunity to talk about it and then sometimes things happen I spoke a few weeks back with Francis Cahill of CityLink the bus company it was in the wake of a very distressing incident where one of their drivers was verbally abused and threatened uh, by a gang of messers, to say the least, in McCurtain Street. She was driving a bus and one of the regular drivers, and we were concerned about her. And Francis came on to tell us not just about the driver, but about the problems they'd been having trying to find a proper base to operate their service. And they'd been pushed around from Billy to Jack and from Pillar to Post for a very long time. And then you were talking to me, Francis, and you got a phone call afterwards. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Go back and remind listeners again what it was you were you 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 had nowhere to to stop down properly and take passengers on and let passengers off. No, so I mean we were relocated to McCurtain Street when all the work started um, originally, and then we were told we would be moving to Coburg Street. And, you know, it just escalated uh, for months then with people pulling into the stop on McCurtain Street. And, and, you know, we begged and begged to be reconsidered to move to a newer location. Our sister company, Gobus, was moved up to the lower Glanmire Road and, and everything worked out really well for them. So it was focused on ourselves. Mm. And look, as time escalated on, Coburg Street eventually opened and then they informed us it was going to be a two-way street. And look, I won't go down the rabbit hole on that one. But we were operating, you know, we were dropping off from a curtain street and obviously the situation that happened was the driver was pulling into the street, a minibus was in the stop and she gently beat the horn for them to basically, if they could move up or move on. And as you're aware, they jumped out and started um, verbally abusing and calling every name under the sun and racist comments, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it did. It got to the point where I said, look, I can't take this anymore. And, you know, I reached out to yourselves and I, I can't even thank you enough for giving us a platform to discuss this issue and kind of plead to Cork City Council to listen to us and mm-hmm. work with us and find a solution. So... 
after the uh, the radio show that day, I got a call a couple of hours later from Cork City Council and asking me to come to Cork and let's find and find a solution. So okay. I did. We went down and um, thankfully now we've identified Anderson's Key as the best option uh, for relocating the service. And I spoke with the drivers and spoke with passengers. We got some feedback on everyone. And Anderson's Key was identified as the best solution to be able to come in from the airport and straight on to Limerick and likewise coming in from Limerick to drop off to head to the airport. So we'll be relocating from Monday the 20th of November. And um, I have to say, PJ, from now on, every time I have a problem, I'm coming direct to you. You're my go-to now for everything. So sorry about that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that, that uh, somebody was listening in City Hall and, and, and heard you make your case so well, um, because it's it's been ridiculous having to park a big, a big, huge bus in the middle of a narrower, as it is now, narrower McCorton Street. And do you know what the funny thing was? Um, on Coburg Street, when you board, right, if you were coming to do your drop-off, um, you drop off on Coburg Street, but you go down and then you turn left and then left again to go on down towards the airport. Yeah. And the drivers were explaining to me, they were like, Francis, we can't do that because you have to take up the right lane to swing and there's a traffic pole in the way. And I said, please tell me they at least ran a bus down there to check. And it transpires they didn't. So, um, yeah. you know, that's where we were at with that. But even that Friday now that I went up to Cork, I was waiting to get the bus back to Galway and a truck pulled into the stop and the driver came around and he couldn't get in. And I just said to the truck driver, I said, would you be moving on in a few minutes? And I won't use the words he told me to I see. say, go and do. I see. I see. Yeah, there's some very pleasant people out there. <laughs> Francis, so that all starts on Anderson's Quay uh, in the 20th, is it? The 20th of November, we'll be relocating and we'll put it out on socials. We just got all the official confirmation and um, there's been a huge amount of support. Um, Just to let everyone know the driver in question, it's still under investigation, but she's back on the route. Oh, she's back on the car. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Because I know you did take her off at her own request because of what had happened. How is she? she Yeah, just to kind of... Yeah, no, she's uh, doing really well and the guards are dealing with the situation. And I think what has been really brilliant is so many of the regulars and and people who heard the show and, you know, they kind of gave her that bit of support and to let them know, look, you know, it isn't a reflection on the people of Cork in any shape or form. So, you know, they kind of felt a bit protective. All right, Francis, listen, great to hear your news that CityLink will be moving to Anderson's Quay from November. We'll tell you more closer to the date. It's around the 20th of November. That's Francis Cahill, who is Regional General Manager for Ireland for CityLink. And, of course, their sister company is GoBus. Came to us wanting to share a problem. And it got sorted because somebody was listening down in City Hall. They do, you know. And whoever was listening down in City Hall that morning and whoever took it upon themselves to pick up the phone and contact Francis, well, you did a very good day's work and well done to you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Ashling was on with Gareth last week. If you want to search through the podcasts, you'll find that interview. It is harrowing. It was so harrowing listening to her tell her story of how she was affected by the floods. Gareth himself became quite emotional a number of times during the course of the interview. Um, but uh, Ashling McAvoy's business, Vision of Beauty, is opening a temporary home in the Glenmire GA Club. Well, that is fantastic. That's fabulous. So Vision of Beauty, Ashling's business, temporary home for them 
at the Glenmar GAA Club. Um, I'm not too sure when they're going to open, but they've offered her a space and she's moving in there. That's fabulous. Fabulous. 0818969696. Now, Mick, you always get these. So today is the 1st of November, as I'm sure you'll have noticed. And uh, Mick says to me, isn't it the first day of winter? Uh, no, Mick, it isn't. It is the first day of the last month of autumn. And here is how I shall explain this to you, at the risk of repeating myself. <laughs> we have four seasons in this country. Scientifically, seasons change in the month of either a solstice or an equinox. We have solstices in December and June, we have equinoxes in March and September. So autumn began in September, in the month of the equinox, and winter will begin in the month of the solstice, which is December. And the first day of December is the first day of winter. And anything else that you were taught or was sold to you in school by the nuns is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Oh, wait, one eight. 96, 96, 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, I know it. Her, her name sailed out of my head in the moment as it happens. A, yeah, Aideen Mullins, the block. She is another fantastic young Cork sports person, a world champion. She's got a couple of different world championships now. Uh, Uncle Eddie, I know her name went straight out of my head as I went to mention her. But thanks, Eddie. Thanks for that. 0818969696. Why don't Cork City Council just move all the bloody buses to Victoria Road by Kennedy Key? With loads of room and every bus would just do a circle to get in and out of the city. But sure, that would take brains. Oh, brains would be dangerous. Yeah, that's actually an interesting one. Victoria Road down there by Kennedy Key. You could see that working, actually, and working pretty well. 0818969696. Do you know anyone who vapes? Have you seen your own teenage son or daughter and wondered, are they vaping? There's a new survey out. Now, it was done in Sligo, but because it was done by Feroiga, the youth organisation, this could apply anywhere. Shocking survey coming out of County Sligo. I'll talk to you about that in just a second. But I mentioned this earlier, another survey out this morning from the Medical Council. Medical Council has produced a top ten of professions that we trust to tell us the truth. They do it because they are doing their annual report. They do a couple of reports every year and one of them is how often we visit our GP and that's for another day. But they say that the ten most trusted, yes, the ten most trusted professions in the country, they place doctors at number two. They say that 89% of us trust our doctor to tell us the truth when we go to see them. Uh, the guards are at number four. We trust the guards 76% of the time to tell us the truth. Solicitors and barristers, now I thought that this is good for them. They trust the legal profession 75% of the time. They're fifth. It doesn't go so well for the civil service. We trust the civil service only 74% of the time. 
trade unions, 67% of the time. Our business leaders. Now, it's not been a good report for business leaders. How often do you think we trust business leaders, top business leaders? How often do you think we trust them? Only 51% of the time. Uh, TDs. TDs didn't do too well at all. TDs are bottom of the list. Top of the list, by the way. The most trusted profession. Okay, I, I, let, let's see, can you guess, actually? Let's see, can you guess? Ah, you see this nonsense again. No, no, no. I, I'll read it, but I'm, it's nonsense. Um, can you can you tell me what the top profession was in that top ten? Have a think about it. The profession that they see as the most trustworthy. It's not journalists, by the way. We didn't do so well. We came ninth. Um, TDs came last. But what came first? The most prof- most trustworthy profession in the country. What do you think it was according to the Medical Council? Anyway, and it wasn't doctors. They only came second. No, no, no. You see, we have this nonsense again, right? The Seasons of Ireland. No. No, 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 no. This is folklore, right? Uh, autumn, August, September, October, winter, November, December. Gen- no. No, 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 no. There's no science in that. There's no science in that at all. Science tells us that seasons end and begin in the month of either a solstice or an equinox. November does not have either a solstice or an equinox, so a season can't start in November. You might put it down as folklore, old nonsense that, you you know, or whatever. Celtically, you might say, yeah, but no, no signs to it. Winter begins on the 1st of December. End of story. <laughs> but thank you, Suzanne, who sent us that lovely graphic, which I get sent every time. 0818. 96, 96, 96. I've been having this laugh with my listeners since forever. Since forever. And, and, and you know it. You know it. We're only having a laugh. Not all. Okay. Um, vaping. Um, there's a survey has come out from Faroiga, the youth organization. Now, they did this survey among their members in Sligo. But Faroiga are everywhere. They're all over Cork, very active in Cork. Fantastic organization. And they found in a survey that they did, of the people that they surveyed, one young person in three between the age of 13 and 16 has at least tried vaping. Some of them are doing it regularly. Some of them have merely tried, done it once or twice. But between the age of 13 and 16, one young person in three has attempted vaping. According to this survey, research done by Faroya in County Sligo, and because they're nationwide, you could do that anywhere. I wonder what you'd get if you did it in Cork. It's research that has been uh, described as quite shocking by Dr. Garrett McGovern. Now, Garrett is a GP specialising in addiction medicine based in Dublin. Um, Garrett, you're one of these, you're not one of these people calling for a ban on on vaping. And let's establish that from the start. But but thirteen year olds getting their hands on these things, that's something you believe has to stop. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I, I, I would be I mean I don't think anybody could could look at a piece of study, a survey like that and look at eleven to thirteen year olds vaping. I mean there's nobody gonna stand over this. So yeah, I, I, I was a bit shocked at the the, the the age of which um 
uh, young people are, are vaping. So that, that has to be a concern. I don't think anybody in my position would feel any differently about that. Mm. Now, as a medic yourself, you see a place mm. in society for vapes. Let's deal with that first. Yeah, so, I, I mean, cigarette smoking kills probably somewhere in the region of about 6,000 people a year in Ireland. Um, we, we, I mean, I don't want to teach anyone, any of the listeners, how to suck eggs. We all know what cigarette smoking does. We know from uh, research now, which over the last sort of 20 years, a lot of stuff coming out of the UK in terms of the Royal College positions, in terms of relative harms. And I work in sort of an area where relative harm means a lot to me. I mean, you, you could argue as doctors, we're all trying to reduce harm with lifestyle factors and giving medications to people. There's very few illnesses that are curable. So so it, it's certainly a, a tool that I am very much in favour of to, to help people get off cigarettes. And, and to bear in mind, PJ, that getting off cigarettes is very hard no matter what way you, way you do it. It's a very, very hard habit to crack. It's a deeply entrenched habit. And really, the, you know, prevention without a shadow of doubt is better than cure. The, 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 the earlier you start, the more likely you are to develop a lifelong tobacco habit. So we want to stop the initiation of people to cigarette smoking, absolutely. So so electronic cigarettes, without a shadow of a doubt, have the role. There's possibly as many as, and there's a, I, I, apologies for the divide, we can't get absolutely accurate figures on this, maybe between 150 and probably 200,000 people vaping in this country. Now, the vast, vast majority of those are not children, by the way, and that's what all the, 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 the international studies will, will tell us. Um, it's very visible, though, with children. You, you don't tend to notice somebody walking on the road who might have something in their mouth that may be cigarettes, maybe a vape, the way you would if you saw someone in a school uniform. So it does strike the consciousness of of anybody when they see somebody so young taking it. So I think we, we, we if we're going to have legislation and we're going to really do this properly, we need to have legislation that uh, protects young people so that they're not they're not vaping, and particularly 11 to 13 is, is quite incredible. Um, but not putting red, red, uh, regulations in place that will will reduce access to people who need them. I suppose that's that's the skill. That's the skill. Let's look at that because you accept, and I think look, the evidence is out there, painted high, that it can help people to to cut their habit. I had one friend who went from fifty a day to five a day with the help of a vape back in the early days of it. So you know, I've the evidence of my own eyes there in front of me. But what we have in surveys like this and studies like this is people who've never smoked in their lives taking up vaping. That's not what they were intended for, is it? No, no, they're not a recreational tool, that's for sure. Um, I would say one thing, though, that um, I mean, I know I, 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 the, the idea that, that, that people who are taking them 11 to 13 will have never smoked. Well, you'd hope they'd never smoked. I mean, 11 to 13's smoking is, is, is very worrying. It does happen, but that, that's worrying. So we don't want young people to smoke, but equally, we don't want young people 11 to 13 vaping, that's for sure. But I think we have to guard also against the idea of a moral hysteria around it as well. We don't want to kind of go, oh, God, every single young person. I, I just think I think we need to be honest about this debate and we need to be honest about the data, not 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 frighten families and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We need to we need to be on this. There's no doubt about it, but we need to get good information out there. Yeah, I, I'm imagining um, parents listening to us who might have found uh, vape packaging or even the remains of a vape in a 12-year-old's school bag or something, or a 14-year-old's school bag. That parent will be very worried. What should they do? 
Well, uh, that's a good question, but you, you you could say this about any any suspicion of taking any drug, and I include alcohol in there. We often think, God, you know, alcohol's legal, so why should we be worrying about that? Believe you me, we should be worrying about mm. it, particularly in young people. Uh, you, you have to have a conversation with a young person, but but it's a very tricky one with a young person because you, young people are conditioned to lie <laughs> when something like this happens. As a parent, I concur. <laughs> right? So they're going to tell you fairy stories. They're going to tell you it was John's. It was going to tell you it uh, fl- flew out of the sky and ended up in their bag. So I, I, it's a tough one. But I think in a broader sense, I mean, it is of a concern, obviously. But sometimes if, if you're worried about any sort of an addiction in a child, sometimes you're worried about their behaviours and stuff like that. So I, I think the, the, the parents need to explore it. But again, it goes back to my point, how the hell are 11 to 13 year olds getting these things? Mm. I mean, we need an age restriction. I mean, it's hard to believe in in October 2023 that we don't have an age restriction on these things. And they need to be pleased better. And I know people have this um, idea about the the um, the marketing of them, you know, the bright colors and stuff like that. The marketing needs needs work. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, regardless of marketing, regardless of the lovely colours, how are 11 to 13 year olds getting hold of these? I mean, it, it's been attracted towards them as one thing, but they have to be sold electronic cigarettes. Let, let's focus on that for a second, if we can, um, be, because you are calling for age restrictions. I was out the other day in a shopping centre with my son. We were just wandering around picking up a few bits and pieces. We were in one of them bargain shops. I won't mention the name, but obviously. And yeah. there in front of me is a rack of vapes and six and seven and eight year olds looking at these pretty colored boxes they shouldn't be able to do that garrett should they no 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 that that that, that's out and and that's the problem is i think you have to remember the way electronic cigarettes are sold the whole thing about disposable vapes i've mixed feelings about because i think if it's pleased properly we could have disposable vapes now there's a whole um environmental Mm. thing about disposable vapes but but i i i so i've mixed feelings about it but i do feel this this is this is my own view on this that the real stockists, the the vaping stockists, are 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 really very knowledgeable on on electronic cigarettes. They they will tell you themselves. They've brought in their own self enforced age restriction. They wouldn't sell to him. They're only interested in smokers coming in to get it. But they are available everywhere, and and the knowledge base of the people selling them is next to zero. And if it's in a place because of the bargain store. You know, like any retail unit, cash is king. They want to make money. Uh, I can understand that. But the idea that a a a retail person behind the till would sell something to an age, that's just wrong. You know, it's just plain wrong. So that can't happen. Uh, so we need to we need to get on top of that. We know they contain an addictive substance. So you wouldn't be allowed to sell a can of beer to a 12-year-old. You wouldn't be able to sell cigarettes, actual cigarettes, to a 12-year-old. But no. a 12-year-old can no. walk up to the counter with one of these things and you yeah. can sell it to them. Is This requires legislation, does it not? It, it absolutely requires legislation, but it needs to be legislation, uh, as I said, that's appropriate. I mean, it, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've got to remember that that if we're going to have legislation, we need legislation to protect young people from access because they're not using them for quitting smoke. I don't know if there's any doubt about that. Um, and we also need to make sure that the access doesn't prevent the people who need them getting them, right? Now, now what I'm getting at here is the whole thing around flavours, right? Now, we haven't really talked about that, PJ. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sure we're probably running over. No, but- I'm, I'm happy to go there if you want. Yeah, the flavors is a very interesting thing, right? So everybody always thinks that flavors is a kid's thing and only kids will be interested in flavors. There's no doubt kids will be interested in flavors. But actually, if you look at the research, and it's really tidy on this, about 70% of people who use electronic cigarettes will use them for flavors. In other words, they want to get away from tobacco flavor. So, so, so from the flavors point of view, in, in jurisdictions in San Francisco where they were re- reducing access to flavors, they, 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 what they noticed was that less people were using electronic cigarettes. And I'm talking about smokers. So it, you, you can ban flavors. There's no, there's no uh, hard evidence anywhere that tobacco flavor, and I'm, I'm, and I'm talking about the most obvious tobacco flavor, which is smoking, ever stopped young people taking up smoking. So I think we have to we have to make sure that it's a it's appropriate. And I I know many of my colleagues will disagree with me about flavors, but I, I you know I've thought about this kind of in in some detail. And if you look at the research, it's not good around banning flavors and thinking that the problem will go away. We, we you cannot have people with impunity selling electronic cigarettes to 11 to 13 year olds. That's just not not acceptable. It wouldn't be acceptable with alcohol. So how do you do that? How do you police it or monitor it so that young people are not getting access to these things? The, I, I might say this though, PJ, that the the there is evidence that older people also are going in to get them for younger ones. And so there's a there's a bit of a, oh. how do you monitor that? Leopard doesn't change its spots. They, 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 they've done that yeah. for drink. They've done it for cigarettes. And now they're presum- presumably doing it for, for vapes, vapes. But certainly age restriction and uh, a way to enforce yeah. it is... Let's, lastly, Garrett, if we could, look yeah. at two things. One, the addictive nature of vaping uh, as compared yeah. for example with the addictive nature of uh, of smoking a cigarette are they comparable yeah. well this is a great question actually i'm glad you asked this because you have to remember everybody uh, if you remember when we were were kids and i'm similar age group to yourself so you remember those little cartoons of nicotine and yeah. you know bringing in the thing 
And over the years, when well, before I got into this work, before I was a doctor, and before I really thought about the issue to to any great extent, I thought nicotine was this terrible, evil thing that 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 was causing all the damage. I realise now that whilst the nicotine is addictive. In a cigarette, now a cigarette has about 7,000 chemicals, there's many addictive quality to a cigarette and also there's a ritual to a cigarette. There's a burning, there's a smell, you know, hand-to-mouth thing going on. But the nicotine doesn't cause the harm. This is the interesting thing. A lot of people don't realize the nicotine doesn't actually cause the harm in terms of what will be their demise later on. So when you get COPD or emphysema or worsening asthma or Mm. lung cancer or heart disease... Nicotine doesn't do that, right? So so what we're, we're looking at is like, and nobody would argue that NRT, as in patches and gum, does any harm to you. You know, my life patients, you're not meant to stay on them for forever and a day, but a lot of people say, look, I'm staying on them forever and a day because if I come off them, every time I come off them, I smoke. So you see, there's harm reduction in itself. So of course it's addictive, but is it harmful? That's the big question. And I think if you look at the research, it's probably no more harmful than caffeine, actually. They're very similar drugs, caffeine and nicotine, in, in, in terms mm. of what they do. On their own, I mean, now, just I know, on their own. I know, I know. I know. So, and, uh, so I think people need to be aware of that. As a person with a, with a, a caffeine habit, my, <laughs> <laughs> I get that. <laughs> and I yeah, describe it I'm as like a myself. <laughs> caffeine habit. Yeah. Lastly, Garrett, on the medical effects of it. I remember when vapes became a thing first. Yeah. Everyone was talking about popcorn lung and and damage that we yeah. might not see and yeah. even up to a year or two ago the jury certainly pre-pandemic anyway the jury was out has that jury come back yet so popcorn lungs emit right it's it's uh, it's uh, it is a condition but it's not related to electronic cigarettes so okay. that's that's out the other one was a valley right which was electronic uh, vaping associated lung injury and, and everyone seized upon that and said, well, look, a valley in the U.S., or it was a U.S. phenomenon, but a valley wasn't caused by, by commercial electronic cigarettes. It was caused by bootleg vaping equipment. We know that to be true. The CDC over there in, 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 in America, you know, uh, have, have done their final deliberations on this. But still, I hear people go, oh, electronic cigarettes are harmed. They cause a valley. They don't cause a valley. Please don't say they cause a valley when that's not the truth. Don't be piggybacking on what happened with a valley. There were bootleg, bootleg uh, equipment or, or vaping equipment. It wasn't commercially sold electric, and the electronic cigarettes. And they are very, very tightly regulated from a European level. So I'll just come back to where your your key point here before I let you go, and that is they have their benefits. You as a doctor mm. see the benefits, but you do not want yeah. 11 to 13-year-olds getting their hands on these things. Not at all. It's just unacceptable, and it should not be happening, and we need to we, we need to get to the root of that as, as much as anything else. What's going on here? How are 11 to 13-year-olds getting their hands on, on vapes? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Dr. McGovern, I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here's Gary. Yeah, interesting man. Very interesting man. There's a man we'll talk to again, I think. Keep his number, Fergal. We shall want him again. Uh, very interesting man. Uh, covering a lot of ground with me there. Uh, Dr. Garrett McGovern. Um, he's connected to the Priority Medical Clinic, which is in Dundrum in Dublin. 0818 96 96. <clears throat> he is a... Pro- he believes in the usefulness of vapes. He might even go so far as to say that there's a case to be made for the disposable ones. His big problem is that if they can be got into the hands of an 11 to 13 year old, that they were never meant to be there 
in the first place, which is what we always said about cigarettes, cigarettes behind the bike shed back in the day. Kevin, morning. Morning, PJ. How are you feeling? I'm not so bad, sir. I'm not so bad. All good. He's an interesting man with a lot of interesting things to say. He's probably one of the best person people I've heard talking about this in a long, long time because he he just gave it to you straight. And the best thing he come up with is, pe- I think people forget what we were like as teenagers. When you read out the numbers for those surveys, one in three have tried vaping. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, because I remember growing up and I'd say one in three tried smoking. Uh, that doesn't mean they carried on smoking, it just meant that they tried it. Yeah. So the numbers don't lie, and teenagers do. Teenagers experiment. Teenagers do an awful lot of stuff that they're not supposed to do. But... The thing is with the vaping, it's so easily accessible. In the same way, cigarettes for me when I grew up in the 80s were easily accessible. There was no age restrictions. There was no. It was no real taboo about it. It was kind of normal. And every household had smokers. Every pub had smokers. Smoking the bus, you could smoke everywhere. It was just normal everyday habit. The thing is, nowadays we know better, and you'd hope that that knowledge would pass on to teenagers. But they will experiment. They mm. will try things. They, they tried cigarettes behind the bike shed when I was going to Cree Street. Yeah. Um, now they're trying vapes? Of course they are. They're, and the thing is, I, that's not the be-all and end-all of it. The fact that p- parents find this surprising surprises me. Mm. Because they've almost forgotten what it was like being teenagers themselves. And maybe they just aren't aware of what teenagers get up to at the moment, uh, in these days. The thing that, but the, and the, the flip side of it... Teenagers forget that we were teenagers once yeah. as well. We're what not what has changed, though, Kevin, is, and you're, like you, I remember the 80s and going to school, um, and um, you could go into the, the corner shop and you could get two fags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, and, and a powder <laughs> jellies, you know, and, and, and kids did, people did. But yeah. you, can, you could do that when you were 12 and th- you can't do that now. If you go into a, a, a shop and ask for cigarettes, You'll yeah. be run out the place. But if you pick up a coloured vape, you can buy it. I don't know if that's true because I've... I well, that's what the law it. says. A I, lot of no. sensible place might yeah. turn you away. But the law well, says you can buy it. I know. I went to... I was in Charleville there about two or three months ago. And I asked my daughter to go in to pick me up some liquid because I paid. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, I was over at the bank. She went in across the road. She was in her uniform. They said no. Yeah. Good, that good was for them. Place. Yeah, but, but that that's also what shop. Garrett said. He Not said that was a, a regular, an actual retailer, an actual retailer yeah. selling vapes. They have imposed these restrictions themselves. Exactly. But there is no restriction in law. She could go no, in somewhere else there, and get it. There needs to be. There's no need. I don't think there's a need for disposable vapes. They're, their cost is ridiculous. They're pointless. And I would go along the lines of there's regulated vape shops around the country. Every shop, every town has them. <laughs> Every shop, every town is almost littered with them at this stage. But make it so that they're the only place you can buy vape and, to, and tobacco products. I'd remove tobacco, I'd remove cigarettes, cigars, raw hand-rolling tobacco, everything from retail shops. Really? Everywhere. Really? And make it so you could, yeah, make it so you can only go there. Go back to the... Yeah, if, you go into, sorry, if you go into, if you go into Super Value now and yeah, you go up to the counter looking for cigarettes, they have to open a locked cabinet for you. Yeah, get rid of it. Get rid of it get completely. Get rid of it and put it straight into what you call tobacco, tobacco vape shops, whatever. Yeah. Tobacconists. And we, you go back to the discussions that we had about drug and treatment centres. In the hope that you get, you'd help get people clean. 
by t- sending them there, the same can, argument can be used for vape shops in the hope of getting people off cigarettes onto vapes, put them all in the same place. And you're getting your one-stop shop mm. and people can make their own decisions. There's absolutely no need in this day and age for supermarkets to be selling tobacco. There's, there's no need. They're trying to go around banning it without banning it by the pricing. The price is like 17 euro now for a pack of 25. Yeah. You know, the notion that kids are smoking is laughable to me because there's no way in, in God's green earth that kids are getting, teenagers are getting 20 quid a day spending money. You know, mm. if they were, I wouldn't mind growing up in that house. This is true. <laughs> you know? This is true. But, I, but I that, that you'd go a step, that's an interesting one now, Kev. You'd go a step further, you'd take, the, you'd take supermarkets, you'd take, yeah, cigarettes everyone. out of supermarkets. Supermarkets, petrol stations, everyone. And make it so you can only go a one-stop shop you can go to your, your vape shop and if you if you want to buy cigarettes, you buy your cigarettes there. If you want to buy your vape products there, you go in there and buy them there. It's interesting. That is and an interesting. The only, the only thing I would worry about is these want to be seen to be seen to be doing something. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is an easy, open goal, free hit because yes. everybody thinks all teenagers are bad, let's just ban it. Well, ban 18 months to the election, everything. Kev, you know that though. Exactly. I don't want them messing something like this up because vaping does help a lot of people stay off cigarettes. That's exactly what Garrett McGovern said. Yeah. He, so I'm many people have been helped by babes. Yeah. Well, like, did you have a, a heavy smoking habit? 40 a day. 40 my a day. Missus, my missus was 20 a day. About seven years ago I started vaping. Never, and I tried everything before. I tried the patches, the gum, uh, just straight out stopping. The only thing that helped me stop was vaping. That and the teenage daughter blackmailing me. <laughs> yeah, that's that that that'll happen yeah. too. Kev, you're a good man. Thanks. Uh, 0818969696. Now, Garrett McGovern, Garrett McGovern, Doctor McGovern wants a ban on any young person able to buy a vape, um, which you can now. So there, Kevin wants to take it a little step further. Take cigarettes, cigars, tobacco, anything to do with that, anything to do with smoking. Take it out of Centra, take it out of the corner shop, take it out of the garage, take it out of anywhere except a dedicated tobacconist. That's an interesting twist. Thanks, Kev. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Um we're still wondering about the most trusted profession. No one's gotten it right yet. Uh, PJ, I would say, Moirid says the most trusted is a nurse. No, Moirid, they come in Actually, they don't do they don't do nurses. I'm going to put them in alongside alongside doctors, but the medical council comes in as doctors being the most trusted. So let's put uh, the second most trusted trusted. So let's put nurses up there with the doctors. Um, but no, no one's got the number one yet. <laughs> Frank then says, "How could we trust PJ? Didn't he announce Springsteen playing next summer? I did, Frank. Now that you mention it, and of course May is not summer. May is spring. But thank you, Frank." Thank you. There's quite a number of people getting into this season's thing. For once, someone are coming down on my side. Uh, and even pushing me a little further on it. David, is it Masubra? That's a beautiful name. David Masubra. Uh, PJ Winter starts the 21st of December. Only in the UK and its former colonies does it start on the 1st of December. In France and most of Europe, winter starts at the winter Solstice. Well, actually, David, I can go a stage better than that. I have an app in my phone, which is a wonderful app. It tells me all year round the time of sunrise and sunset. 
and the time when we begin to see light, like, you know, civil twilight, as they call it. So if I pop my calendar up to December, and it will tell me that the 21st of December at 3.27 a.m. on the 22nd of December, that will be at the end of the solstice, that's when winter starts, officially, 3.27 a.m. So you're correct. But for convenience, we say the 1st of December. But thank you for that, David. And another one in France, seasons start at solstices and equinoxes, never the 1st of the month, which is nonsense, as much as saying that winter starts in November. Yeah, they do, I think for convenience, they bring it back to the 1st of the month. But there's two people. Yes, I have been beating my head off the wall of the studio for the last... God knows how many years talking about solstices and equinoxes. Two people in on one day with me and even going further on it. Thank you. On vapes, uh, PJ, it's not the tobacco that's the problem. It's the chemicals in the cigarettes. Yes, Dr. McGovern said that. Bernie, I was at the bus stop recently. There was this horrible orangey smell. It was people vaping. I don't want to be breathing that. It gave me a headache. I felt sick. Uh, are we forgetting our youth? I'd equate it with buying a loose fag. And a Chester. Oh, <laughs> you get a, a lump of donkey's goods and a loose fag. Yeah, I never smoked in my life, but I do remember that. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh my God, when I just heard it down, I got into the car and just bought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Quartz 96 FM. Here's a statistic. Talking about Whitegate earlier on this morning and the beautiful place that it is and ravaged by floods at the moment. And thinking of other great places along our coastline. Places like Fountainstown and Myrtleville and Yall. And go down West Cork, you fantastic Baltimore, Skull, gorgeous places. Um, here's a statistic for you. Around 40% of people in Ireland, about 40% of us, live within five kilometres of the coast. And around 40,000 of us live within 100 metres of it. We're kind of drawn to the coast as a people. But there are no, there are warnings now that we may have to change tack and that lots of people might have to abandon their businesses and their homes Uh, under policies to deal with rising sea level. It's all part of the changes in the environment and the changes in the climate. Caroline O'Doherty is environment correspondent of The Independent and has been writing about this. They talk about a managed retreat. Caroline, what is that? Good morning. Good morning. Um, A managed retreat, okay, is the opposite of an emergency retreat. You know, you talk about policies there to deal with environmental change and coastal change and climate change. We actually don't have a policy, a national policy around what happens when sea level rise, which is already happening and which is expected to accelerate and get worse. Um, What happens when sea level rises to the extent where parts of their coast where we live and work and have railways and all that and have tourist facilities and holiday homes and holiday villages, 
what happens when that becomes part of the seabed? So it's not just at high tide that there's a risk, but that actually becomes part of the sea. What happens when the softer parts of our coastline, our coastline is a mix of rocky areas and, and kind of softer sand and soil and land. What happens when, as already is a natural process, there is erosion around our coast. Uh, parts of the coast get washed away in storms and so on, and they maybe get deposited somewhere else. But what happens as storms increase in intensity and they break off bigger chunks mm. um, as is happening already around parts of our country? So what happens you know, in, in in spotted areas around the coast, we have put in and we are putting in and I'm planning coastal protection work. So some of it's horribly ugly, big lumps of concrete blocks stuck yeah. on the beach. Some of it's a little more nuanced. There's plans for some sort of barriers and breakers out in the sea that would sort of deflect the strength of the waves and so on. It is not going to be possible to do that all around the coastline. Uh, either it may be not environmentally pr- practical, and it's certainly cost-wise, it would be mm. absolutely massive. So, so are we looking at a situation, Caroline, where in a given number of years, 5, 10, 15, whatever number of years, there will be places where we just are not allowed to live? That's what the government wants to decide. They want a policy to decide how would we handle managed retreat. It has been broached in other countries where they literally in the United States and some states they've started moving some villages and towns away from coast. So areas like uh, some of the southern states, Louisiana, um, parts of Florida, even actually in the northwest up in Washington state is a very difficult process. Nobody wants to get up and leave and, and in, for a start nobody wants to believe that hang on, my, my town, my village is not going to be habitable and it's in 30 years maybe it's 100 years. Could we stay here for the 30 years and then see? It's also been broached in Wales, uh, where there's a town, a small town called Fairbourne. And a few years ago, the local authorities there said, as they were watching the sea getting closer and closer, they said, look, it, we're now making a policy decision. We are not going to protect. We're not going to put in an engineering work to try and protect the village. So you've got to start th- thinking about what you do with your properties. Now, there's a lot of uh, resistance to that. Um, and, you know, local people have got together and they're getting other consultants with other views and so on. Mm. But it's a really difficult area to even broach. And what the government has decided is we actually need to have a policy. And that's a first. That's an important first step because we've been kind of, you know, we've known sort of about these issues. We've kind of left the coastline up to the individual local authorities in charge. And now they're sort of, they're somewhat grasping metal here and saying, we at least need to have a policy. So putting a, they're putting a steering group into saying, work out, first of all, where are the absolute most vulnerable places? How would you devise a scheme where you would start a warning and saying, we believe that within 30 years, which is not that long away, or 40 years or further, that this is an area that's no longer going to be land. It's going to be part of the sea. And we are making the decision now that we're not going to be able to protect you. Mm. So you need to start making your decisions now. Very difficult, very sensitive. Your, your background um, is Cork, isn't it, Caroline? I beg your pardon, Your sorry, background PJ? is Cork, isn't it? I have no. I'm, I've been a blowing in Cork, and then I've blowed out of Cork. <laughs> but yeah. I do know Cork. I remember, you, I remember you working working here years ago, so you'd know Whitegate very well. And so they've got the sea across the road. They've had an awful fortnight of it now down there the last couple of weeks. So are we looking at places like Whitegate where you just would have to move it? Well, this this report that has come out from the government is very sensitive in that they don't mention any individual not, area, and you can understand one, yeah. why because people would be running around screaming. Um, um, but there are areas, you know. When you the great thing about Google Maps is, you know, you can look at an area, and it it sometimes is quite striking how close we have built to the sea, um, and how vulnerable places are. Um, so I wouldn't want to say Whitegate. There are other, you know, there is other work. Crosshaven, Kinsale, anywhere. 
Well, possibly. Now, where there are places that are already quite built up, so Kinsale would have a lot of kind of coastal protection works already. Naturally, they have, Mm. you know, they have uh, seawalls and harbours and piers and there's kind of already infrastructure in place. Um, I'm now on the East Coast and so much of that, there's already walls and concrete and piers and all of that in place. It's very unlikely that we would just kind of throw the hands up in the air and say, well, we're not going to protect that because there's something already there to build on, if you like. And you could reinforce it and build it higher. But we're looking at different places. We're looking at different places where they won't be able to protect. Yes, absolutely. Places that there isn't any significant infrastructure. Would you start trying to put in buildings and walls and things? What they're saying is that's probably not going to be feasible. It's a discussion we'll have many times, I assume. Caroline, thank you. It's a story for the future. Environment correspondent of the Independent. Ballycotton is a place that would spring to mind. They've had a coastal erosion problem since since the 80s. Um, so, And they've been looking for a solution for it since the 80s. It's the future, unfortunately. 
to mm. 29 years later. And, and this <laughs> partnership between 96FM and the Everyman has been going on now for quite a number absolutely. of years. So, and we absolutely love being part of it. 2nd of December, back again with Beauty and, and the Beast. I know, you just made my blood pressure go up there when you said 30 days. <laughs> yeah, it roughly is, yeah. Rough. But mm. you're, you're stuck in rehearsals already, are you? No, we're starting on Monday. Okay. Next Monday now, all go. Um, everybody has got their scripts now and their music and all of that side of it, the process, which is the part I love the most, mm. is all set in stone, ready to go. We have a wonderful cast, very enthusiastic, creative team. Yeah, second, they're all the experts mm. who will bring the magic to the, the stage as well. To know. If, you, if you look at the, 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 the great pantos, like you've, you know, you've Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Cinderella, Red Aladdin, Riding Hood, Red Aladdin. Riding Hood, yeah. You know, like there's what? There's maybe a dozen titles there. So, yeah. and they keep coming, ba- coming back. Babes in the Woods are another one. Babes what? in the Woods, interesting enough though, PJ, is one that I don't know whether it will be acceptable today. It's funny that you should say that. Yeah, I remember I, seeing yeah. it a long, long time ago. Yeah, uh, but it wouldn't. It might not work now. No. But what's the secret? to turning over a good panto in 2023 that is a story written hundreds of years ago. Okay, the story is that you must... Um, I, I'm delighted to say that in 29 years, yes, I have used the same titles, but I have never used the same script. Mm. It's always a fresh script for the people today. And I suppose, this, this, the, well, for me, the key one is keeping this the line of the storyline pure, mm. Because children are, they're being read by the children, by their parents, mm. whom were children before that. And then going to maybe what I call like the branch of the tree, like as if, what if? Mm. And you, you kind of can sidle off, but you almost must come back and touch that base of that storyline and go back out again. And what if? You also have to be aware of your audience of today, what they're into, what went on. Like from January on, I'd be writing down little things that happen right through the year mm. so that we can bring them in. Some of them die very quickly, but other, th- other areas that you might be able to bring mm. them in. The topical references. Topical. And I suppose what I would be saying to everybody when people come, because it is one of the hardest genres in theatre and in the sense that you have to cater for grandparents, parents, children Mm. of, you know, and, but I would say to everybody, what's the magic of it? It's keeping the child within us, every age group alive. Yeah. Become the child for two hours of pure magic. And I've often watched it and seen that um, adults can actually get worse than the children mm. when they get involved. Mm. But it's a great tonic. It's a better tonic than taking oh. a tablet for to relax you. It's, you know? it's wonderful. And, and the trick is it not, I think... Um, Catherine, to have a script and a performance that obviously the kiddies are just transfixed, but every so often you're throwing the adults a bone Absolutely. with a joke that goes way over the kids' heads. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. But I, do you know what I just think we need to be very careful of? I suppose really, like with the, the GBTR and, and all of this, you know, oh, is this politically correct? Is that going to be. Is that become so, more difficult? It's very difficult. You have to be very, very careful. Something that I would read, I wouldn't read into it. Then I might get somebody else go, oh Catherine, be careful of that line that that might offend somebody, you know. And I would suffer to say to people let us relax. I get this he, she, it, they of, I get everybody is a human being. Mm. 
Can we not go back to treating people, human beings? I don't mind what you do, who you do, where you do, once you're not harming anybody young, anybody old. But let us be people, not this political status that we all have to tick boxes. It's funny that you should bring up that because the dame is the centre of a panto. And I was thinking the last few years with the way society looks upon certain matters now, the dame must be difficult to do right. Yes, absolutely. You're so right. So this year, would you believe our dame is Finula Linehan? We're so the dame is a dame. It is a dame. <laughs> so I'm being very politically correct. <laughs> so I can't get slapped on the wrist the or get detention. The dame you know? is a no. dame. Yeah, but it might change next year. There do you, you know? go. There you um, go. But I think we must see people as people. Mm. And, you know, I think because we're confusing everybody at this stage. Do you know? It's true. It's true. So it's the same story. Belle and she dreams Belle. of more than this, the life that she has and yeah. she discovers a castle frozen in time. Where's the castle? The castle. <laughs> I can tell you now this year, I decided this year, you know, because uh, Beauty and the Beast is very much noticed as being French, right? Mm. And I went, that story could be anywhere. So we're setting our panto all in Cork. The castle is in Cork. The characters are from Cork. The, you know, and, uh, and so therefore I think it'll bring a little bit of great humour because there's a lovely, um, lovely, I suppose, really. Cork has super humour. And yeah. I'll give you just an example of this. Um, I, I was in hospital there. I had a, a, an operation there recently and I have lost a lot of weight. Okay. Um, and nothing sinister. Everything is good. good. But I met a past pupil of mine who works in the hospital, passed me and then suddenly stopped and went, Mrs. Mabuckley. And I went, yes, I thought you, you, you were passing me. And she went, uh, where's the other half of you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So like, look, do you know, that humour in Cork is just so right. So that's where we're, we're going. Right. So I think it's Blarney Castle. We're, we're kind of having oh, the, well, the grand, you know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it, it is, like you said, it's all set in Cork. It's all Cork humour. And there's a thing. You just jumped upon it. And we're so proud of our Cork wit. But Cork wit, I think, Cass, I went to my first pantomime when I was five, and that isn't yesterday. Right? Maybe <laughs> like before. myself. <laughs> that is not yesterday. But the Cork humour has sub- sub- survived decade after decade after decade of change, which is why, coming back to what we were a yes. minute or two ago, the Cork humour can, it can out, out, I was confused. I, the way society is changing, Cork humour will change with it. I'll give you an example of that, and, and you're so right. Um, I remember the Gaty Panto, and he, they had Pat Kinavan mm. as um, he was, uh, what was he? He was Dandini. Yeah. But he played him as a Cork person. He had the audiences rolling. Yeah. And that was in Dublin, you know? So, yeah. like, they were just clued into it. So mm. it is, it's very much, um, yeah. Like we have, like you know, Gaston is gas bag, you know. Lovely. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Lovely. Yeah. Do you know? And um, uh, your man Lafou is Johnny Lafoule. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Because they would be all the nicknames that we would give people, exactly. and and a bit of fun. And I suppose really, it's a modern panto. It's very much the like the songs will be there. The children will know them. Parents will know them. But it is very much, um, I suppose, plenty of laughter, plenty of fun, and plenty of getting involved for all of us. It's the only only show that you can really. The, the audience can become one of the cast. Fantastic. Now, opening on the 2nd, running till the 14th of January. Absolutely. That's its minimum. 
Yes. That's its minimum. That that's that's where it's and you've got some special days and I wanted you to bring that one up. Absolutely. You've got one you've got um an audio described one on the fifth of January. What's that's that right. About? The audio one is that where you have children who are deaf and they can come and we would have people who we have a fantastic girl who'll do the sign language, but we will work with her and she becomes a part of a character. Then we have another cla- another one for the children who are blind. And that one we started last year. And oh my gosh, do you know, PJ, it kind of made you stop when I met them. And to see, you know, they, they come on stage, they feel the textures, mm. they hear the voices, they touch the, 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 the performers. I was so emotional about that because you know what? You kind of sometimes forget that, you know, there's a whole area of people out there mm-hmm. that we must keep can't inclusive. The they can't see the colour. So we describe it to them. The and them. and it's just beautiful. Mm. And then we will have a relaxed performance that, as well. A relaxed performance is for children who have autism right. and who would find the like say the noise could be very, they won't be able to take it. So we will have what we call a narrator again, who will kind of just give them a, a thumbs up on there's a loud bang going to come here. Um, we will have uh, everything will be in their own comfort zone. The lights will be taken down, their lights will be on. Well, we keep uh, the theatre on. We keep, yes, on. yeah. Okay. The sound will be brought down, so it won't be in any way disturbing for them. Be a sensory, and a sensory, a totally aware sensory uh, gotcha. environment. Fantastic. And Fantastic. Um, yes, and hopefully that you know, if they want to meet the characters afterwards, I'm sure they'll meet them as well. Do you who's know? It, lastly, so, who's in the cast? The caster, um, Fanula is Fanula Linhens playing um, uh, Peggy, Peggy, Peggy Toomey is what we're calling her. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I know, yes. Um, we have Andrew Lane. He's playing Johnny LaFoul. We have Marion Goggin. She is Belle. We have uh, Padraig Defusio. He's the Beast. We have Michael Sands playing um, uh, Gasbag. Michael we, loves Panto, doesn't he? He does. And he's fantastic. He's brilliant. Fantastic. He's brilliant. We have yeah. Irene Warren playing. Um, uh, she's playing La Fluff, but we're calling her Barbie. Um, <laughs> we have Cormac Costello, who was away for 14 years in, in Australia. He's playing Cogsworth, what people would know, but we're calling him Shandon. And um, we have then Graham, and he is playing Luminaire, but we're calling him Sparky. Very good. You know, Excellent. so there's like a whole ray, and then there's the ensemble, there's the handmaidens, and of course the children will be performing as well. Marvellous. We Do can't know? wait for it to start. Saturday, yeah. 2nd of December. Catherine... I, I know that you, 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 you like you said, you, you, you've had some surgery recently. I wish you well in your recovery. Thank you very much. All going well. I wish you a successful pantomime series. And uh, we so look forward to being part of it once again. The great Catherine Mahan Buckley joining me. Beauty and the Beast opens at the Everyman on the 2nd of December. <laughs> Two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. I'm in love with the money. Answer 10 questions in 60 seconds to claim 2,000 euros. 2,000 euros. Lorraine and Ross in the morning. I'm getting money. <laughs> On Cork's 96 FM. Wise ass on the phone reckons that we're setting the panto in Cork because the French can't get the date of uh, winter right. <laughs> and still people are engaging on this one um, and insisting. Like, here we go. Anne, PJ, PJ, PJ. November is the start of winter. 
It was drummed into us at school. February, March, April is spring. Fact. No, Anne. Folklore, Anne. November. No. A season begins and ends on either a solstice or an equinox. There were two solstices, one in June and one in December. There were two equinoxes, one in March and one in September. There is neither a solstice nor an equinox in November. Therefore, the season cannot begin or end in November. So winter begins on the 1st of December. Or the French would have it actually on the 21st of December, which is when the solstice occurs. That's just science. It's inconvenient, but it's just, I love this discussion. Do this all the time. On houses in flooded places, and talking to Caroline from the Irish Independent about how we may have to consider moving away from the coast or not developing, not living on the coast, because certain parts of the coast won't be coast anymore. It'll be sea in any number of years. Um, John says, and yet we've people looking to develop the docklands. Surely there are better places to build. There is that, isn't there? We look at the fantastic plans for the Docklands, and they are absolutely fabulous plans for the Docklands, if, if, if and when it ever gets built. But you're down next to the river. You'd, you'd, you'd hope that there'd be flood protection there. I think in all these discussions, everyone seems to forget Cork City's built on a marsh, and the marsh is still there. We might build up all these walls on the quays, all the tidal barriers, but... Sure, what about what's under us? And what about the water tables, etc., etc.? True, true. Cork is always going to have a problem with flooding because Cork is built on a marsh. That, that's true. On vapes, talking to Dr. McGovern a little while back about vapes and young people getting their hands on vapes. Uh, he treats addiction. He believes vapes play an important role in harm reduction for people who are uh, smokers. But he would certainly not want kids of 11 to 13 getting their hands on vapes and Kevin then rang up to say actually you should take all cigarettes and all vapes and all those kind of products out of supermarkets completely, put them into just dedicated vape, vape shops or tobacconists um, couple of responses to that uh, in Spain only the tobacconist can sell cigarettes that's from Baldy Barber, yes Michael you're not wrong, you will see uh, you will see Machines around the place selling packets of cigarettes. Although most of the ones I saw this time when I was in Lanzarote, not that I'd be buying them, but most of the ones I saw were out of order or plugged out or something. I don't know. But the tobacconists is the place you can buy cigarettes. Um, and it's online, says this message, online where kids are buying the vapes using things like Revolut and VPNS. So unless you outright ban the product from sale and ban the internet... Online sellers are selling into Ireland. You'll never get to go there. There's always that. But you could at least try. This idea that the internet and Revolut and online will, will always find a way. That's true. That's true. But we can try. We can try. I mean, Kevin has a more radical idea than even Dr. McGovern. And Kevin's idea was you can walk down around the corner now and you can go into any supermarket you want or anywhere like that garage, you name it, and buy 20 cigarettes. He wants to ban that completely. Completely. Just send, sell them in into tobacconists. Uh, on the Panto, lovely chat with Catherine Mahon Buckley, and we will podcast that. 
Uh, I remember when I was seven or eight, many moons ago, I was in the orthopaedic hospital. No school, I thought. No panto. I was wrong. Catherine arrived every day for an hour or two. Therein started my love of reading. So thanks, miss. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. No school. Great teacher, of course, is Catherine. Getting back to where we were, we started this morning talking to Georgina. About, and again, we'll podcast this, about her folks' experience with KLM. They had booked to go to Berlin for the weekend, and they were going Cork, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Berlin. KLM was the flight. They booked it in May, got to the check-in desk last Friday morning, only to be told, well, you're only on standby on that flight. And the whole thing was a disaster from beginning to end. And they were trying to figure out why on earth when they booked the flight in May with KLM, were they on standby come the end of October? It made no sense. Natalia says, good morning, I was listening to Georgina. This is very typical with KLM's flights. It happened to us twice and it was blamed on winter schedules and stuff. But the summer, a couple of my friends had the same issue with their summer holidays. I'd never use their service again. Let's... We are going to try and find that one out. There must be someone out there who can tell us why if you pay for a ticket in May that you would be put on standby in October because there's no way, in my language anyway, that it makes sense. We still have had no one, even though it was in the news too, if you uh, were listening to the news at 11, the most trustworthy profession. The most trustworthy profession. This is in the Medical Council have done the top 10 as part of their own survey where they said one in four of us haven't visited the GP in the past year. That's fair enough. Maybe we haven't had to. Um, but they've compiled the top 10 of the most trustworthy professions. At 10, at the very bottom of the pile, TDs. Nine journalists and the media eight business leaders seven trade unionists six civil servants at five the most trustworthy profession at five solicitors and barristers at four the guards at three judges at two the second most trusted profession in the country doctors the most trusted profession, according to the Medical Council, on their research, teachers. Nobody guessed teachers. There's a thing. Oh, wait, 186 Oh, someone did. Oh, Eddie did. Huh. Just before I said it. Eddie guessed teachers. Good man, Ed. Um, yeah, Mary's, Mary took a photo. That's a lovely photo, Mary, but a fairly lively one. I took this photo in Gary Vaux recently. It shows how much a high tide is affecting the coastline. Oh, you can see that, can't you? Is that a house? or That's a caravan, is it? Oh, a mobile home. There in that picture. If I could zoom in. There in that. Oh, and that, oh yeah. Oh, my goodness me. You'd have, you'd, have, you'd have waves with your dinner. And that mobile home. Is that, that's not Mrs. That's not Mrs. Kelly's in Yerry Vaux, is it? No? No? It's not? Anyway, thank you for that. Mary, 0818 96 96 96. Now, Con, Con, you've been watching telly and you've been watching uh, Obituary. It's kind of a comedy drama thing that RT have done. All the episodes are on the, on the player. I've watched not much of it, but I watched a bit of it. 
but you were watching you were watching obituary and and it, and it caused you to to think there's an awful lot of old negativity on the telly a lot of dark stuff on the telly i wonder does anybody agree with you con good morning to you yes peter thank you uh it's going to give me the chance to explain about these programs. It's not only arbitrary. There's, I clicked over the channels. Um, I, I have none of the import the channels, but about the RT1 and 2 and 3 and 4. But, no. And they were all much the same team. Darkness, kind of uh, more about killing people and, and, and violence and, and everything. You know, there was, there, was, there was one nice kind of a program I could kind of relax. Kind yeah. of, you know. But arbitrary is really dark altogether because about killing people. I mean, I haven't. Because, I haven't I've, on, I've only seen a short part of one episode. Con, I was getting tired when I came on, and I, I decided to turn yeah. it off and go to bed. I'm told that people are enjoying it, but one thing is for sure: people love crime shows. I, myself included. Yeah, but uh, this isn't. These are not crime shows. No, I mean, I, I watched a, a, a crime show last night. Did the Irish dramas? The Irish dramas were particularly bad. They're all kind of daft. It's all about family feuds. You know, you've got problems there. I forget the name of them now, but I don't really. I just watch some of them. I just can't. I just switch off. I just. I can't be watching this. You know. Yeah. Um, it's not good for the children. I mean, look, look long ago. I, I grew up in the sixties. And there was a great little program there, a comedy called um, Green Acres. I remember it well. Can they still were showing it in the nineties? I remember it well. Yeah, it's a lovely program. And relax, you know, Mr. And one, one farmer will sit down watching the television and the pig was up. I remember that very well. And other comedy shows, great comedy shows. You don't see those great comedy shows anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, why don't they repeat them? But to see, it, it's, it's, it's the, the, the Masonic influence and cushion this darkness in the programs. The on the With Freemasons, you know, there's Freemasons models in the clinical program. That's calling the shots. They have all this money is going into making these uh, dark We have to have to teach the youth. We're not protecting the youth at all. I remember you had censorship with Frank Hall with the last one, but overall it was good for the country. They, they kept, you know, the violence. Right. You're in favour of censorship. I'm in favour of censorship for for uh, model protection of the family. The family is a unit is under attack. You 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 don't even I think like the stuff that's on the news, do you? Well, of course I don't, because... I don't mean don't like it, but the coverage of stuff like the tragedy in the Middle East at the moment... Oh, yes. ...and warnings, for example, that we might find certain things distressing. Are you suggesting that because we might find something distressing, it shouldn't be shown? No, no, I'm not. But, I mean, I think what's happened out in the Middle East at the moment is a bit like 9-11. Why, why, why was Israel so relaxed? That no security on listen, that, that that discussion is ongoing, but come back to the television coverage of it, yeah. Con. Coverage, of course. It's, look, every program now, uh, Ireland, uh, uh, the Irish RT are making is all these dark dramas. You, you think it could cause people to become depressed or yeah, even yeah. become violent themselves, you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, that program there now, obviously. You can all tips about how to kill people. You actually push one below the clip. Well, I mean, yeah. she, she, it's kind she, of a comedy, know. though, to be fair. That's a very dark comedy. Very dark. Very dark. I mean, dark comedies now, uh, I've seen them before, but not as bad as the Irish ones. I mean, we've got. Yeah. Look at all the other ones that were, that were there. Families fighting and everything. You have to do Stuff like Smother and. and Smother. Smother. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, lo- I'm not kind of, I loved Smother. Absolutely loved it. Right. <laughs> I did, but there was, there was 
family feud where people were fighting all the time. I mean, we have con, 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 con. Ireland is littered with family feuds, my friend. It is, yeah, it is, it is. But look, apart from the fact that it's every, you know, on every street corner, it makes for great television drama too, doesn't it? No, I don't. Look, it's time now to turn the corner and go back to maybe religious. There was a great program there before, I remember, uh, The Highway to Heaven, and you had... You had oh, uh, Michael Landon, I remember that. Michael yeah. Landon, yeah. yeah but do we, do we want to go back to that and back to the little house in the prairie, do we? we do, well, the country needs it, whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not. Do you, you see the children coming up? If they saw a program like that, it would be good for them. Or do you want a bit more of the Waltons, maybe? Yeah, the Waltons. They should re-show that and re-show the Green Acres and all the nice programs. And the, Don't get me wrong, I, I'm with you here, Con, in that I'm after mentioning programs that I used to love. Mm-hmm. But we're living in different times now. I, I don't think the Little House in the Prairie or the Waltons, I don't think they'd work nowadays, would they? Well, you were fine, but look, what's the alternative? People watching these sadistic, satanic kind of programs? Yeah. No, we, we have to find a different way. We should show some of these programs back again. I mean, Green Acres. Mm-hmm. It was, well, now, Green Acres was classic. I, was classic, I loved yeah. Green Acres. And do you yeah. remember the Beverly Hillbillies, Con? I do, yeah. That yeah. Was funny too, they yeah. were great. Also. No, no, I'm with you on showing the old stuff. I'm with you on going back and seeing some of the old stuff again. I'm just not so sure that you can replace what's up now, you know? Yeah. Bit of nostalgia is no harm, but I, I think the well, world the world has probably changed, Con, you know? Well, I think... Uh, I think to be no harm to disband the national broadcast. But you don't have to. Yeah, but you don't have to talk about RT. I know you say you don't have Netflix. That's fine. I do. If you look yeah. at the, if you look at the top ten of what's on Netflix at any yeah. one time, five of that top ten are the kind of programs you're talking about. Yeah, but there, there wouldn't be Irish to be, 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 be the Irish yes, particularly. Uh, I, uh, yeah, but we uh, love Netflix in this country. We do. We do. We do. That's the yeah. thing. You see, I think they see that the. People like the dark stuff, and they like. But it's not good for them. It's not good for them. It's not good for them. Yeah. Why, why should we show stuff that's bad for them for the race of people? I mean, where are we heading for? Like, Con, it's a question. We'll put it out there and see what people think. How's about that? Well, that's a good, good picture. Yeah. Con, we'll see what people think of this. All right. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you sit down to watch more television at the weekend, Con, enjoy. Thanks, God. The, the Green Acres. I look. Some people might never have heard. It. I used to love it. Remember that? I had to find that. I was searching furious ever something. <laughs> you could do a whole morning actually on on classic TV themes and classic TV shows, and it's kind of more suited to Friday when you do that. But but there's a thing now. It's kind of a week off, and the kids are at home and whatever. Um, we might run this actually for the rest of the week. Um, is there a show you would love to bring back from donkeys years ago? One that you loved. And let's then look at the kind of things that people do love and compare it with what Con is saying. Con is saying that we want happy stuff, we want amusing, entertaining, lively, nice family content rather than dark stuff. Like, I was thinking of a show that's coming back, and I'm delighted to see it back. Bosch, Bosch Legacy. Harry Bosch uh, is on Amazon. It's back for season two. I'm looking forward to that. And I love, I do, I love crime shows and the darker crime shows. I love them. Um, But I did, I absolutely did love Green Acres. I thought Green Acres was the funniest thing ever. (laughs) 
I know. You want to do a morning of classic theme tunes? You do, do you want me to get slaughtered? But seriously, is there a show that you would bring back and keep? Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Barry and Lowry is a very, very busy woman. I've been talk, waiting to talk to her for a little while. Um, because Marion, now you're not the only one. There's two of you, female chimney sweeps in Cork. I don't know when I last saw a chimney sweep. I certainly never saw a woman doing that job. But there's actually there's actually two of you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. My my daughter Emma. She does. She works with me a couple of days a week as well. So I I I I don't have the title of being the only female anymore. Would you be the only ones in in Ireland? The two of you? Do you think? Uh, there was a girl in Dublin long ago, again, who took over her father's business. So right. I don't know if she's still in business or not. Now, that's what happened with you. Your dad was in the 70s he had a business. He did, in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s. He got unwell, unfortunately, and he was in remission for a few years. So I started working with him. Yes. And then he was very ill again, so he had to give up and I continued on. So you kind of, you apprenticed, if you want, at his side, did you? I suppose I worked with him for about two and a half years. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I took over then. And I was only doing it part-time because I wasn't too busy. But when the stoves came out there in the last 15, 20 years, you know, it really got busy again. A lot of people now have stoves. These wood-burning ones, yeah? Uh, multi-fuel and wood-burning, both. And the pellet stoves now are also becoming popular. And they they use flues, though, or or do they use a, a regular chimney? Pre-2015, you could fit a stove into a regular chimney. You just put a connector on it. But now most people would have their chimneys relined with a flexi-flue when they're getting a stove put in. Yeah, it's much safer. You learned as a little girl, really. What age were you when you started with that? I suppose I was very young when I started answering the phone at home. We were the, f- we were the first in our street in Blackpool to have um, a phone, which was a big deal. Of course, I used to love answering the phone. And it's funny, but... I can remember some of the names from Longo that I'd still be going to today. Really? Yeah, not a whole lot now, but I'd still have a few. Where where was home? Out Blackpool or Dublin Hill? Where was it? Down at the end of Dublin Hill, right across from the grotto, just above Ganey's pub. Everybody knows Ganey's, that's a landmark of its own. It is. There was a man who used to sit in the doorway there for years. He only had one leg. He used to sit in the doorway on a sunny day. Might have been before my time. <laughs> Late 80s, early 90s, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Somebody listening will remember him. Will so, remember, yes, so I'm you, sure. You, and when, when Dad passed away, when, when did he pass away? He passed away in 2002. You had taken yeah. the business over to that stage? Well, I, my mother was saying at the time, look, if you don't want to continue on with it, that's fine. She said, your dad was so proud of you to think that you did it, you know, and, you know, you don't have to keep doing it if you don't. I said, you know what, I, I keep doing it on a part-time basis. And I did for a while and then it got busier and it just kind of took off really from there. And people love the idea of a woman coming in to do a job like that. I was just thinking Especially that. elderly people, you know, they feel so safe and trustworthy. And, you know, I get people and I never met them before in my life. And they'd ring for an appointment and they'd say, I'm at work and can I leave a key out? And I'd say, like, yeah, that's okay, that suits you, you know. They'd have got me from somebody else. They'd have got a recommendation from somebody else that I had been to. You know, that's most of the work is all recommended. And also, can I just give one big shout out Go on. to the Mums of Glenmire Facebook page, to Ger and Neave, because the local support I get in Glenmire from the Mammies here is unbelievable. 
But I get people from all over the city and county. I even get calls from England from people who are members of the Mums of Glanmire and they have properties in the city and they might be rented out and they got my number from the Mums of Glanmire. They stretch at the far and wide. Has the technology changed, Marion? I remember the chimney sweep coming to our house when I was a small boy. He was always filthy dirty and, and he had long brushes. Has the technology changed? Okay, the basic part of cleaning the chimney is still the same. You still use rods, but the equipment is different. Mm. And it's operated with a drill now as well, so it makes it physically, it's a lot easier. A drill? So you connect all the rods um, and when you get to the top, you put your drill on and then you drill down as you're coming along and remove the rods. There's a name on it. Now, power sweeping is what they really call it, power sweeping. The rods go up to the top. Yeah. And then at the end, you you attach the drill. You attach the drill and drill it away all the way down. And pull it down gradually. So basically, the principle is still the same. Now, we, we still have the old rods. I actually still have some of my father's rods because if we had a nest now in an open chimney, in a regular flu, we'd have to use the old rods and the, we call it a worm to pull out the nest, but only after nesting season is over. Yeah, because you can't touch it during nesting season. No, no, no. no. Do you come, do you come me, across a lot you know, of nests? I actually, a couple of weeks ago now again in a house that I had taken one out of previously and they had another nest in it with a couple of dead birds. Pains me when I see that, but... During the summertime, we would really kind of see a good few people would ring us about nests. So we, we tried to wait until August really to take them out. Yeah, because you're not allowed to take them out at certain times of the year. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah. Not when they're nesting kind of generally between, I think it's February and July. Yeah. Roughly. It might be a bit shorter than that, like, but we'd push it out a bit further if we could. Come back, come back to your dad. We were talking a week or two ago about unusual names. He was a Mintern. Mintern. M-I-N-T-E-R-N. And originally, his family came from the Marsh, Henry Street. We could trace the back there with the, the census back to, was that 1903, I think, around then. We could trace it, the name back. Down, down near the Mercy Hospital? Yes. Yeah. That would be where my great-grandparents came from. And my father lived on 98th Street. It has a French sound to it, doesn't it, Mintern? Yes, yes. And originally, I found one time in a book... Um, the name with an E at the end of it had originated in uh, a part of France, Normandy, I think. Like pe- people pronounce it differently, but it's actually Mintern. Long ago, people used to say Mintern, but it's actually Mintern. And all the Minterns and Cork are related, almost. There were some of them were boxers and sports people. Uh, did you have someone in the triathlon? My nephew, Chris Mintern. Yeah. He won the triathlon in y'all. He's a big triathlete he's living abroad now yeah and you had a boxer in the family my brother Declan he boxed with the um, Glen Boxing Club it's amazing you know when you start to talk about names a few weeks ago the number of, of people come back come back to the to the job though of, of, of cleaning out a chimney how often how often should we have it done really we recommend every 12 months there's very few people that we go to twice a year There'd be people now maybe that would light the fire earlier in the day. They might have a back boiler system where they're relying on the fire to heat the radiators and the water as well. Yes. They might get it done twice a year, but generally every 12 months is what we recommend. And older chimneys now, they're, they're risky, are they? Do bits, could they be dangerous? Shocking. Shocking altogether. So we don't do any online chimneys anymore because you don't know what's going to come down. Yeah. Now, we would have a few customers that were going to for a long time. And we'd know the chimneys, so we do still do, but we don't take on any new online chimneys because you don't know what you're dealing with. Lining wasn't wasn't standard practice until when? 
the seventies really started. Right. Yeah, around the seventies. Mm. But no, like anyone that rings now and they they say the chimney isn't lined, I say you get a camera test, and I always recommend Cork chimney specialists. Um, get a camera test, and they'll tell you what you need done. And you need nine times out of ten, they need the chimney relined. What can happen in an unlined chimney, Marion? Well, you can always have loose brickwork falling down and you can always have the smoke escaping into the property next door. I see. You know, you could have a risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh. And that's another thing I want to remind people of. Every house, if mm. they have an open fire, if they have a stove, if they have gas heating, mm. they should have a carbon monoxide alarm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very important. You'd be amazed at the amount of people that still don't have them. If you really have, important. If you have a gas fire, you know, the old gas fire in, in mm-hmm. the grate, should you get that chimney cleaned? It sounds like a silly question, I know. It's not a silly question. It's a very good question, actually, because a lot of people think that they don't need to be cleaned. We would recommend maybe every five years. Right. It's just in case there was any sort of a blockage or anything. You wouldn't get any soot, really, from a gas fire. Very yeah. little. Right. Or an oil, like an, an agar cooker now as well. We get a lot of people looking for us to clean the flues of an agar cooker. Yeah. And again, you wouldn't get a whole lot, but we do go and we, we do clean them. But we again, we only recommend every few every few years. It's really just to make sure there's nothing blocking them. There was a classic wind-up on 96FM years ago oh, about yes. a chimney sweep. I'm sure you remember it. Oh, my God, we got such a laugh off that. My <laughs> father used to, we, we would, And even today, still, I often listen to it. Yes. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Why I brought it up, Marion, was because the the soot, like people would dread the idea. Oh, God, there'd be soot everywhere. It'll ruin me three-piece sweet. My carpet will be no more good. How do you manage well, that? Well, we try to treat everybody's house like our own house. But if you, we had a job recently, I won't say where it was, and the lady rang up. She wasn't a bit shy in admitting she never had the chimney cleaned and it was unbelievable. Now, you can't contain that kind of dust, Mm. no matter what you do. Mm. I always say, we are chimney sweeps, we're not magicians. If you didn't have the chimney cleaned, you know, if you never had it cleaned, you have to expect dust. I get people ring up sometimes and then didn't have a clean for five years or 10 years. Say, would there be any dust? I say, well, there's always going to be dust on the mantelpiece because if there's not, we didn't clean it properly. Oh, really? Yeah. We'd always get a little bit of dust. Always, always. That's normal. But generally, and and like, you know, it's it's you would expect it. You would expect a little bit. Now we seal up the the stove and we seal up the chimney, and generally, like you wouldn't get any dust around. And we cover the furniture. I was in a house on Saturday, and the lady in the house said, "Oh my God!" She said, "I can't believe you covered my furniture." Mm. I said, "Do you did have it cleaned last year?" You told me. I know, she said, but they never covered the furniture. I said, "It doesn't take three minutes to do it." I said. And it's just a precaution. Well, there's a the thing. You, you kind of, even if even if you're doing only doing a bit of painting in in your own front room, you'd cover everything. You'd cover, yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people wouldn't have anything covered themselves. But we always have sheets, so we always cover the furniture and the TV. But we don't cover anything that has ornaments on it for fear that we'd break something. <laughs> <laughs> Marion, we're in the first days of November or the end of October now, first of November. You You must be... Pretty busy running up to Christmas. Yeah. Very busy, really busy. Now, I'd be honest, we haven't got a whole lot of availability before Christmas. But I'm always saying to people, 
You don't have to have it done for Christmas. We're busy in January also and March mm-hmm. and February. You can have it done anytime. And I'm always saying to people, the best time to do it is between April and August when it's not too busy and you wouldn't be waiting four weeks for an appointment. It's a good time to do it. Once you have it done every 12 months, it doesn't matter when. But of course, there's a big push now for the for Christmas for Santi to make sure of that the course. chimney is cleaned before Santi comes down. Of course, chimney has to be cleaned. Yes, for, exactly, for exactly. What do you do to, to, to relax when you get a chance to relax? I like to travel. That's my big thing. Where do you go? I like Las Vegas, Lanzarote. They'd be my two spots. Well, I've I've been to Lanzarote many times, but never to Vegas. What's what's is, is is Vegas as mad as they say? It is. You either like it or you don't. My husband went one time. He hated it. We went on a Grand Canyon trip. He loved that, but he didn't like the whole noise business. So I go with two friends of mine. Shout out to Margaret Newton. And Margaret O'Herlihy, my travelling buddies, right. we're off next month actually to New York for a long weekend. Brilliant. So that's my thing I like to do um, when I have a bit of time off. Have you gone to the, you've gone to the Grand Ole Opry, have you? Oh God, I was there in March with Tom, my husband. We had a fabulous time. We're after being a few times now, but I love country music, American country. That's my thing that, as well. That's the Hollywood of country, isn't it? Yes, definitely, definitely. Everybody, anybody that likes music, it doesn't have to be country music, but anybody that likes music needs needs to try Nashville once. It's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I've heard so fabulous. many people say that you don't even have to. You don't don't even have to. I I do, but you don't even have to like country music to. No, you don't. No, there's just a fantastic scene there. You know, music scene. It's brilliant. And then brilliant. Lanzarote is fairly quiet. It's the polar opposite of Las Vegas. <laughs> The actual poll, and I love it because it's so chilled out. We stay out in Matagorda. We're staying. We're going out there years, and we love it. I know Matagorda yeah, we very well. Yeah, we love it. We got married out there actually Did seven, you? sixteen years ago. Myself and Tom, lovely spot. So that's what I do to relax. I let you get back to your chimneys, but before I do, you you want to stress: do not burn that old deck board or anything like it oh, in your wood nothing stove. Nothing like that. Good dry timber, smokeless fuel, briquettes, yeah. good turf if you can get it, which is hard to get. But if you can get it, yeah. I probably shouldn't be recommending that. But anyway, <laughs> um, smokeless coal, good dry timber, you can't go wrong. And get your chimney cleaned every 12 months. People with a few spare deck boards out the back would be inclined to cut them off. Oh, God, no, no. And it's really bad for the environment. And it's really bad for a stove, for a multi-fuel stove to burn anything like that. Really bad. It damages all the, the, the insides. Marion, I wish yourself and your daughter well, and I wish you a lot of success. Lovely talking to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers, Marion. That's it. We're done. We're way out of time. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.